evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Lawrence Douglas County Planning Commission's meeting of January 24th, 2018. Before we get started with tonight's agenda items, we have a little bit of housekeeping to do, starting with the minutes from November of 2017. Body did not meet in December, so I would entertain a motion to approve the minutes of November 2017. So moved. Commissioner Sands moves. Second. Second by Commissioner uh, Payton. All in favor, please raise your hand. Opposed? Carries unanimously. 8-0. Do we have any committee reports from the previous two months? Yeah, I'll update the commission on uh, the long-range transportation plan, T-2040 update. Um, the steering committee has met on that and received a draft plan, which they approved the draft plan to go out for a 30-day public comment period. Um, that then went to the MPO policy board this last week for the same process for us to <coughs> review the draft and then submit it for that 30-day public period, uh, public comment <coughs> period. So it's out um, for comment for roughly the next 30 days, and it'll come back to those various bodies and uh, have some further discussion, any revisions, and then the goal is to have it adopted by mid-March, which is our requirement to have it updated. So that's where we're at. We have a draft plan. It, it really is, a, it's a very comprehensive transportation plan, but it, it reflects the draft that we've seen for the, the uh, comp plan update also. So it's much more user-friendly, has a lot of links to the maps and different things. So I think once it is adopted, it'll be a very useful tool for the Planning Commission going forward. But I'll continue to update you guys on everything as far as that goes. Thank you. Any other committee reports from commissioners? Are there any written communications from the public not already in the packet? Uh, any written communications from staff, other commissioners, uh, planning commissioners, other commissioners? Uh, any written actions of waiver requests or terminations from the city engineer? Uh, no, but Mr. Chairman, I would remind the commission to please speak directly into the microphone. We're trying to project out to the, um, the lobby tonight. So. Okay. Thank you. <clears throat> any disclosure of ex parte communications not already in the packet? Commissioner Sands. So I'll just start reading the list of <laughs> people. I, I won't be able to represent everything they talked about, but then you guys can tell me to stop when when I hit, you know, Bob. Uh, Ms. Sarah Tetley communicated <coughs> with me about the uh, Gilbane development. Ms. Nancy Smith. Uh, Ryan Weedle. Excuse me, not Ryan. Sarah Tetley again. Bonnie Kunis. Um, Patricia Manning, I think she's in the packet. Um, so have I hit, everybody got those? Okay. I, I think some of those came in today. Anyone else have any communications with members of the public uh, not already in the packet? Commissioner Willie. I had a conversation with Erin Strobel, who is a resident in the Candlewood neighborhood. Uh, she expressed many of the concerns that we have seen in our packet from other neighborhood um, representatives, uh, with the main one being the uh, daycare. Any other ex parte? 
Yeah, I've had a phone uh, call from Jane Eldridge, and I think probably some others have too. I as well, yeah. But that was essentially what's in the packet, and so I've heard the neighborhood presentation at the last two Lawrence Association of Neighborhood meetings. Anyone else? I also had a telephone conversation with Jane Eldridge earlier this week, uh, in which she expressed her opposition to the project. Uh, any declarations of abstentions from specific agenda items by commissioners? All right. <clears throat> Seeing none, then um, consideration of attendance and the brevity of this miscellaneous item number four, I would entertain a motion to move item number four, certificate of survey variance, to the top of the agenda uh, and then proceed from there with the regular agenda. So moved. Thank you, Commissioner Sands. Is there a second? Second. All right. All in favor of moving a miscellaneous item number four to the top of the agenda, please raise your hand. All right, then we will start with that. Carries eight zero. Mary? Good evening, commissioners. I'm Mary Miller, a city county planner. And this variance is associated with a certificate of survey for approximately 40 acres located at 1637 North 400 Road. This is within the Baldwin City Urban Growth Area, which is shown in green. The white dashed line is the actual city limits, so it's in very close proximity to Baldwin City. There are two variances requested. One is from the requirement to provide a build-out plan, and the other is from the requirement that the residential parcels utilize one shared access on the adjacent roadway. And so I thought before I got into the build-out plan variance, I would just discuss build-out plans briefly. Uh, there are two types of certificates of survey. One is the type you do outside of the urban growth area and it's a very simple survey. You just create parcels that each have their own access point. It's very low density. Typically, the most you can get is two dwelling units per 20 acres. Inside the urban growth area, you could be much more dense. You utilize one shared access drive on the road and then the parcels are all clustered and they take access from that access drive. The green area is just a future development area. You're required to set aside 40% in the urban growth area. The build-out plan is intended to provide a division of the certificate of survey into future urban blocks, and it uh, shows where the future street extensions would be. And this allows us to designate building envelopes, so when people develop the residential parcels, they locate their houses in such a way that the city, either Baldwin City or Lawrence, knows they can extend streets and infrastructure reasonably. So this is an example of a build-out plan that was done for a certificate of survey with seven residential parcels. Uh, it shows the cross-access easement, and then it shows the future road right-of-way. And this is kind of a detail. Uh, the gray area is a cross-access easement, which is where the shared drive for the residential parcels are. The other ones are the future right-of-way. Uh, in addition, they show the easements. This is a West R easement, and then there's a wider easement for rural water. After these are determined, they then designate the building envelopes. And this excludes the front setback as well as the easements. And so when people build here, they know they're not going to be locating their house where we expect to be extending streets. And it also provides assurance to the adjacent city that they'll be able to provide infrastructure reasonably well. 
With this subject property, it's a little unique in that it's very low density. It's actually lower density than you could develop outside the urban growth area. They have 40 acres. It has currently one residence up in the corner, and they want to add another residence more down towards the south. And the remainder of this is that future development area. They had worked with zoning and codes for a while on getting a building permit for the house, and they had intentions to request a variance to allow them to live in the existing house while building the new house. But the variance requires you to cease the use of the existing house once the new house is built. And as they intended to keep that house in operation, they discovered they needed to apply for a certificate of survey. The building permit for the existing house or the new house is ready to go as soon as the certificate of survey is finished. So we do know the location of that house. And that is one of the reasons that we're recommending approval of the variance from the build-out plan due to the uniqueness based on the very low density and the fact that we know the location of that residence. So there's no uncertainty about whether or not roads could be extended. I spoke with the Baldwin City Development Director and he discussed this with the Planning Commission and they had no concerns with allowing this to go forward without the build-out plan, provided it was only for this density. So if they were gonna divide it further, they would want a build-out plan. And so staff's recommendation is for the approval of the variance, subject to the condition that it's applicable only to this certificate of survey. If they want more divisions, then they would have to provide the build-out plan. And the second variance is from that requirement that you utilize only one access point. Um, certificates of survey in the urban growth area can use more than one access point if necessary that you're not damaging environmentally sensitive areas such as floodplain. Um, in this case, we have no environmentally sensitive areas, but the issue is the existing house has a driveway on 400 Road. The county engineer has approved the cross-access easement or the share drive on the very east side of the property because that's on the top of a hill and has really good sight distance. So their option is, if they utilize the same drive, they need to reconfigure their drive to come clear to the east and utilize this point. And the county engineer said he would not approve a driveway in this location just because of the site distance. So based on the fact that there is an existing driveway, another point is they have adequate frontage where they could have one of the requirements in the subdivision regulations is that you must comply with the access management standards, which requires a certain amount of frontage for every access point. It's 330 feet for an access point on North 400 Road, and they have over 660 feet of frontage. So they have the required frontage. They are compliant with the access management standards. And uh, the fact that the county engineer has no objection to the two access points, staff is recommending approval of that variance as well. Subject to the conditions only applies to this. If they did another division, we would have to reevaluate access. And so these are the two recommendations on the variances. Thank you, Mary. Mm -hmm. Is there an applicant or a representative of the applicant to speak tonight? <coughs> yeah, Rich Frost, owner of the residence. So. Hi. Hi. Anything to add to Mary's comments? Um, no, just, uh, you know, my wife and I were just building, want to build in the back of the property, and, and really it's just a simple simple house. It's not a development. We're not looking for a cluster development or anything. It's just a matter that we want a lottery winning, getting in a urban development area, so going through the process here and, okay. and just trying to make sure we do everything right, so. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Yep. All right. Uh, Scott, refresh my memory. Is this a public hearing item? Is there any member of the public who wishes to comment on this agenda item? 
Seeing none, we'll bring it back up to the commission. Questions, discussion, more motions. Commissioner Willie. I have a question for Mary. Um, <clears throat> that lot number three that was penciled in in the diagram, would that be considered if there were future development, then the uh, requirement then would stand for the build out plan? If, if that lot number three were to be built upon, would that trigger that? Uh, the, the parcel that was called number three, that was the future development area, and that's the 40% that they would have to keep. <laughs> so if they did any future division, it would be to divide the other parcel, the one that has the house on it. And yes, if they did that, then they would have to do a build out plan. Okay, I understand. Thank you. Any further commission discussion? If none, I would entertain a motion. We have two variances to approve, and we will approve them separately, correct, Scott? I think you could approve them as written here in one motion. Okay. <coughs> Commissioner Willie. I would like to make a motion. All right. Um, where the city engineer, or the, the Baldwin City was in approval of it and the uh, transportation engineer didn't mind the access points, I'm very happy to support it and make a motion that we approve the both variance requests from section 20-804 of the subdivision regulations to allow a certificate of survey on approximately 40 acres located at 1637 North 400 Road without the submittal of a build-out plan and the permit to access two points on North 400 Road. All right. We have a motion. Do we have a second? Second. Commissioner Carpenter, thank you. Any further discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor of approval of these variances, please raise your hand. <coughs> motion carries 8-0. <eight>, <coughs> On to item number one, the real number one. Zoning at 4500 Overland Drive. Commissioners, Sandy Day with the Planning Office. This item before you is a zoning request to a specific property located in the western portion of the City of Lawrence. The property is developed with an existing apartment complex. Its surrounding uses include um, the high school as well as the Briarwood planned residential development, Bower Farm, which is a developing project to the south and duplex uses to the north. The current zoning is RS and this RSO zoning was created in 2006 when the city adopted uh, the new land development code. that um, made this property non-conforming uh, at that time. This is just another quick slide of where this property is located in relationship to surrounding uses and neighborhoods. Uh, the project became non-conforming by actions taken by this city. The project was built under the old code. It was built compliant with the code at that time. It was zoned RSO-1B, which allowed multifamily in this particular project. 
The reason for the request that has been made by the applicant is really to align the zoning and the land use for this property. Um, the, as we've discussed, the RSO district does not um, allow multifamily dwelling uses, so that makes the project non-conforming. And then the development density of the project is just over 12 dwelling units for eight, Per acre, so it's part of the reason that staff recommended to um, various property owners when they've been doing um, review of this property that the RM15 zoning district would be more suitable to bring that property uh, into conformance. My property's been zoned. Um, since 1999, it was part of an overall uh, platting project that went forward to the city. And we've had some questions that have come up about land uses that are permitted in the RM15 district. So we tried to put together a couple of slides to walk you through where those uses are similar and different between the two districts. The RSO district allows residential as a single family or detached type of residential use. And it also allows a number of non-residential uses, particularly office uses. The RM15 district would allow some of those residential uses but virtually none of the office uses the question about manufactured home or mobile home parks certainly that would become a use that comes under that category in RM 15 but it is not a use that is permitted outright it would require a special use permit for that kind of use to be made available for this property it's just some more of those household living types, assisted living, um, congregate living would be allowed in the RM15. It's not allowed in the RSO today. Um, the office uses, um, the group homes, those type of uses are both permitted in both districts. I'll just let you look at this for just a moment here. Staff's recommendation is for approval of this request. It does align this use with its zoning district um, and provides some stability and continuity for the neighborhood and for the property by removing that non-conforming use designation. I'm happy to answer any questions you would have. I know the applicant is here okay. um, as well. Thank you, Sandy. Sure. The applicant care to make a presentation. Thank you. Mr. Struckoff, members of the Planning Commission, good evening. My name is Matthew Goff. I'm with Barbara Emerson Law Firm, and I'm here tonight on behalf of the owner of the Fox Run Apartments, the applicant. My client purchased this property on October 17th of last year, and on the next day, filed this rezoning application. Uh, it appears that my client's lender made a condition that this application be filed in order for the closing of the loan and the purchase of the property to go through. Uh, the request before you is very straightforward and simple. It comes at the suggestion of the planning staff who on a number of occasions in the past, when asked by a title company or a bank, would give what's called a zoning letter. And these zoning letters would outline the status of the property and say it's actually a legal non-conforming use 
you might consider rezoning to RM15. And uh, I can't speak for the prior owners of the property. I, uh, I would guess that perhaps they had some comfort knowing that it would take some very major disaster to cause more than 60% damage to these apartments such that it couldn't be rebuilt as a legal non-conforming use. But this owner and this owner's lender have made it a point that it's time to realign the zoning with the use. I would describe it as fixing a glitch because this change occurred through no action of any of the property owners. It was a, a change of use table in one of the first sections of the new development code and it said all of the old zoning districts uh, of this type are automatically converted to RSO and like magic it just happened. So today um, it's uh, an application that comes before you with the strong recommendation of support of the staff. I'll also speak briefly on some of the communications you've received from some individuals who I think reside at the same address. Um, there is no change of use whatsoever with this application. The site plan that was approved initially is the same site plan that's in effect today. My clients had an Alta survey done of the property before they closed and it shows a land use that matches up to the site plan. Um, there shouldn't be any concern that this site is a target for any sort of a mobile home development. Um, it's constructed as per its highest and best use. <coughs> It was purchased as such very recently. And it's worth pointing out that nobody can put a mobile home park on this site without going through the process of getting a special use permit. So we would be here before you, there would be a public hearing, there would be a protest opportunity. And it all presupposes that you want to take a fully developed and stabilized multifamily apartment project and knock it down and replace that use with, with a mobile home park. Um, so all that said, I would ask for your support tonight of this project and I'm pleased to stand for any questions that you may have. Thank you, Mr. Goff. Thank you. I'll let you know if we have any. This is a public hearing item. Is there any member of the public who would like to comment on this application? If so, please approach the podium, sign in, give us your name, and uh, please limit your comments to three minutes if you're an individual, five minutes if you are speaking on behalf of a group. All right. Seeing none, we will bring it back up here to the commission <coughs> for questions or comments or motions. Uh, my comments would just be that I think this sounds like a completely reasonable request. I think it ticks all the factors uh, needed for rezoning and, and based on the lender's uh, requirement here and uh, the applicant's indication that nothing else is <coughs> intended for the property other than what's already there, I, I, I see no reason to, uh, to not approve this. Thank you, Commissioner Sinclair. Any other discussion? Commissioner Sands. I would just say that, that uh, it, it is pretty straightforward. I agree with Commissioner Sinclair and, and uh, still glad to see public uh, comment and public interaction in the process, so that's always uh, 
very welcome. Um, but Mr. Chairman, I'm uh, prepared to make a motion of recommendation, the approval of, excuse me, approval to rezone approximately 8.434 acres from RSO district to RM15 district located at 4500 Overland Drive, known as Fox Run Apartments. We have a motion to approve. We have a second. All right. Commissioner Culver, thank you. Any further discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor of the motion to approve, please raise your hand. Motion carries 8-0. Thank you. <clears throat> Item two, a preliminary and mm -hmm. final development plan for the Lawrence Humane Society. <clears throat> Commissioners, I'm Catherine Week, one of the planners. Um, I'm here to bring the uh, consideration of the preliminary plat and final develop preliminary development plan and final development plan for the Lawrence Humane Society. Uh, just to give everyone an idea of where the project is located, um, it is just east of Harper Street and just north of 19th Street, where the star is indicated there. Current zoning um, and the location where this project is located, um, the project itself is zoned PID, um, which is a planned in industrial district. That was actually zoned specific for this use in particular, and that use is not changing. It is surrounded by RS7 um, and GPI to the south, which is the Douglas County Fairgrounds. Um, there's a small sliver of residual RS10 there, but for predominance, the project is surrounded by RS7, which is residential zoning. So the reason that this is a PDP and an FTP, or final development plan, before you is that this is a major redevelopment. Um, so it was not appropriate to do the uh, previous final development plan, do this as a modification. So you're seeing this as a preliminary development plan and then also as a final development plan. This is a major modification to the originally approved final development plan. The proposal um, is proposing to replace existing structure and adds a public dog park to the facility. This was originally done under the 1966 code and the current, um, both that code and the current development code allow for a concurrent submission of a preliminary development plan and final development plan when there is a single use um, and single structure. So that, that's why you're seeing them together tonight. Uh, just to give you an idea, um, as I said, this is single use, single structure. It is PID um, zoning. Uh, this is the original approved final development plan. And as you can see, the, the existing building, which is approximately 17,500 square feet, is in uh, the southeast corner of the property. This is all lot one. And the open area or open space where the current dog runs are are at the north. The new proposal is to remove that existing structure, still a single use, single structure, still PID zoning. Um, this would be a larger structure with an open dog park on the south portion of the lot and the larger structure to the north portion of the lot. It also proposes new circulation and dual <coughs> access drives. These are the reasons why it was a major development plan and not a revision uh, to the approved plan. So factors to consider when we're looking at these are compliance with um, the original FTP 
and conformance to Horizon 2020 and conformance with the subdivision regulations. This application is a modification of, as I said, of the original FTP for the new larger structure, the access modifications, the parking modifications, and it's also a two-phase completion. So these are all characteristics and thresholds that kicked it into um, the preliminary development plan review. The two phases um, would be phase one would consist of site improvements and the construction of the new structure to the north. Phase two is the demolition of the existing building and the remaining site improvements and dog park to the, to the south. So their plan is to get the new structure up and going and then remove the old structure so they can remain in operation. Part of the staff analysis when reviewing preliminary development plans and final development plans is to take into consideration parking, access, and circulation. So this is the new circulation proposed. Currently they have one access point, which is on the east, or I'm sorry, west side. They kind of come into the site, um, park, and they go back out the same way. The new access route proposes two access drives, one to the east and one to the west. It becomes more of a U circulation route with uh, sort of back of house or deliveries on um, the east side. And this over here is an access fire lane, which um, is required for safety so that fire access can get to all points in the building. They're also providing 63 parking spaces um, in the review. Staff calculated parking, and um, based on the requirements, they're only they're required to have 51, so they are over their provided um, requirement there. So they are providing some extra parking. So the conditions that staff is recommending, based on the findings of fact, is that they need to provide and we would suggest to provide a revised FTP to meet the type three buffer yard, which I'll discuss in a moment, um, including um, the shrubs, which will be an item that the applicant would like to discuss. Um, to indicate the type of erosion and sediment control, the correct parking table to reflect um, the current plan and the provision of a site plan performance screen. And most of these are housekeeping, kind of tidying up the plan. Um, but the one that we'll have for discussion would be um, the buffer yard requirement. And so again, as part of the, the staff analysis, um, Part of the requirement for a preliminary and final development plan is to provide buffer yards to adjacent uses. So this, as I said, property is adjacent to residential use. In the table for residential use, um, this in an industrial zone district would be required to provide a type three buffer yard, um, which would include shrubs um, and trees. There are several options. Um, the applicant has chosen um, to go with a 25 foot wide buffer yard, which requires X number of trees and X number of shrubs. Um, in this case, the tally for type three on all sides is roughly 242 shrubs. Um, as you can see in a visual I'll show here in a second, um, they are not providing quite that many, they're providing 18 in the buffer yard there. Um, staff did some analysis. There is a non-residential use on the west side. They could provide a type one buffer yard on that side and keep the type three just on the north and to the east where the residential, which would reduce those numbers um, from 242 down. Um, so I provided a graphic here just to show you uh, what 
what the buffer yard entails. So that blue shaded area around the property, and there's an existing, um, the existing conditions are shown underneath the proposed site plan is shown on top. The blue area would be the buffer yard. The green area, um, or the green shrubs at the north are the number of shrubs that are currently proposed in, in this proposal. As part of their application, they had also requested some perimeter parking reduction requirements along the north edge of the dog park, and there's a slight encroachment of the fire lane into the buffer yard. And I'll show you that here. This area here is where that fire lane encroaches just slightly into that buffer yard. There is an exception in the code for um, instances where those, those requirements can be reduced based on safety. Staff did feel that that justified the slight encroachment in the buffer yard there so that fire could reach um, all points of the building. That's a building code requirement. We did, however, suggest that um, we did not recommend reduction in any of the plantings. There's still room for the plantings. So even though the fire lane encroaches, we're not recommending any reduction in what the plantings would be there. There was also a request for a reduction in perimeter parking requirements just north of the dog park. Typically, there's a 25-foot setback from right-of-way for any parking area, and there are perimeter landscaping requirements to kind of buffer headlights and things for right-of-way areas. Because there is over 150 feet of distance between the right-of-way and that dog park to the north of the dog park where the parking is, uh, there is an option in the development code for reduction uh, if if it's warranted and staff felt that in this case there could be a reduction of plantings in that location due to the distance to the right of way. So those shrubs there are also showing you where that reduction was requested and what the applicant is proposing. Staff is in agreement on uh, the reduction for the permanent <coughs> parking and for the encroachment on the fire lane, but the type three buffer yard um, along the residential uses we were not in agreement with. This visual, um, this is what would typically be required. So, and I actually reduced the number a little in the corners where the shrubs could technically be counted for both the east, um, the east buffer yard and for the north buffer yard where they overlap. <coughs> Instead of counting shrubs twice, I gave them credit for just planting one shrub. So the total number um, that would actually be required by code is 181 shrubs. Um, again, this is what's proposed, which is why we did not support the reduction um, in the number. There was an alternative compliance request for that. Typically, when there's an alternative compliance request, there's something provided in addition that either meets or exceeds the current code standard. And the trees are being met, um, but there is no really subs real substitution for the shrubs. There are other options that they could use to meet um, those buffer yard requirements. So we feel that there are opportunities for them to meet the requirements, either by meet planting the shrubs or um, choosing another option. And again, just showing you uh, that residential zoning buffer. 
So the next steps, um, if the preliminary plat is approved, would move on to the City Commission for approval. If you would um, approve it here, it would go there. The final plat, um, we would recommend approval per the conditions and upon City Commission approval of the preliminary development plan. And then they would be eligible for building permits after that. So staff is recommending approval of the preliminary development plan based upon the findings of fact and forwarding it on to city commission. And staff is recommending approval of the final development plan subject to the conditions listed in the staff report and subject to approval of the preliminary plan by the city commission. And right. I'd be happy to stand for any questions if you have them. Thank you, Catherine. I'll let you know if we do. Is the applicant or a representative of the applicant? here to speak tonight. <clears throat> Hi, commissioners. My name is Kate Meggie. I'm the executive director of the Lawrence Humane Society. Um, primarily, um, well, let me go back a little bit. We've been working on developing this plan for a new facility for the Lawrence Humane Society for more than three years. Um, in planning over the last year and a half, we've raised more than $6.6 .6 million of this $7.5 million project to build this facility that's going to allow us to provide far better services to the people and pets in our community. Um, the reason that we are, are hesitant to have these this many shrubs surrounding on the north side and on the east side of the facility is obviously using donor funds to maintain a high number of landscaping plants will be challenging um, secondarily you know the ability to catch animals that get out of our yards or the animals that we do sometimes have to catch makes it a lot more challenging if we're dealing with a high number of plants um, we did hold a public forum with uh, giving notice to all of the neighbors on all sides of our building we had one attendee who lives in the trailer park to the north of us um, who had no concerns I also met with the management team at that trailer park to discuss the, the plans of where the dog yards would be where the property line would be and they did not have any concerns currently the dog yards at the north side of the property go all the way up to the property line with chain link fence um, and we've never had any complaints for what their use is. We are not housing animals out there overnight. They're typically used for playgroups and enrichment in the morning and the afternoons. Um, it is not noisy. It is not anything that would cause any sort of distress or disruption to any of our neighbors. So that's why that's why we're asking for, for some assistance with this so that we can keep this project affordable so we can get it done. Um, got some other folks here, I think, who want to talk? Thank you. Good evening, Commissioners. Dean Grove with Grove Engineering. Um, I just, uh, again, want to thank Catherine. She's, she's been great uh, working with, and she's put up with me, so she probably deserves a raise. But um, I guess I wanted to clarify a couple things that she said. Um, in the layout that she provided, and, and it's a little bit difficult to see, but the reason we have the layout that we do uh, was basically to keep the existing facility open by what, with what they had by putting the drive here and the building in the back. 
we could produce enough parking lot in the interim while they tear the other building down and finish the improvements. So the phase one and phase two is only a, you know, the point of where they go from the old building to the new, and then those site improvements are, are finished up. So sometimes you get a final or preliminary and a final development plan that shows this phasing that's going to go on for years. Well, that's not the case here. It's just a, a transition between operating out of one and operating out of the other one. Um, what I'd like to, uh, I guess, talk about is the uh, buffer yard, kind of how I came up with my uh, proposal for landscaping and questioning the requirement for landscaping. Um, as I um, mentioned, and, and Catherine mentioned, but I, I don't think loud enough, so I'll say it again, when we, the, the zoning, which is industrial with a uh, development overlay, uh, was that way because that was required in the 1966 code. Under the present code, the uses at this facility would be allowed in a in three of the commercial, uh, the CS district, CC, and I believe the CR district. You know, so it is a little, you know, well, uh, acceptable in industrial, but it's also acceptable in in commercial. So they look at it that it's not, you know, it's not a heavy metal manufacturing plant by any terms. So, um, but given that. Um, when we looked at what to do with this development plan, uh, spoke with staff about do we rezone it back to CS and with a development plan, and they felt like at this juncture that just keeping the industrial zoning was, I guess, appropriate for lack of a better term, and so we went down that road. Um, when I got to the point of doing the landscape plan, uh, as we talked about, we look at uh, interior parking lot, perimeter parking lot, uh, all those items, then we get to the perimeter buffering, um, and based on the use and the length of the perimeter, um, again, uh, 49 trees and 242 shrubs. Um, you know, we believe that 242 shrubs is not sustainable by a non-for-profit organization uh, and don't want to discount the fact that there are neighbors to this facility, uh, but also, you know, looked at the site and I guess if we can switch this, I've kind of, how I came up with the request for alternate compliance um, of what we came up with, yeah, I just, I never know which. Catherine had a, uh, an exhibit in blue that showed the 25-foot buffer yard that we were proposing. As I looked at, you know, how do we reduce some of these shrubs, um, have outlined um, the, as she has indicated in the blue, and there's a, a zigzag line there that shows the border. Uh, the orange, uh, the area encapsulated by the orange, I looked at as additional open space, green areas uh, that to me, you know, provide some buffer that we don't have a building that's built out to the 25 foot uh, buffer yard. Uh, we've got a lot of area and then up in the front, once the building is removed, we've got basically a dog park. Um, you know, we pointed the parking stalls into the parking that and so looked at, hey, 
what are we really buffering here? And are all these other areas, you know, open space, um, doing the same thing as shrubs along the perimeter? Well, in, in staff's review, um, they indicated that it's kind of difficult for, with alternate compliance, to say, well, is this open space really the same as more shrubs in the buffer yard? Because it's tough to quantify. So as, as we went from that point, or I went from that point, um, I said, well, let's look at the requirement for a type three buffer yard. Um, it, in the table uh, under buffer yards under section uh, 10 for landscaping, if you look at the two zonings, it automatically takes you to a buffer yard three. Um, but I also looked at the first sentence of that, of why we do buffer yards is, you know, it's not because we're trying to buffer between zoning districts, you're trying to buffer between incompatible uses. Um, as I mentioned, um, the trailer park is RS7. Under today's code, it's a right now it's a legal non-conforming use because a trailer park would only be allowed in RM15 or denser uh, zoning. So it, it's really, although it's zoned RS7, it's really more of a multifamily type facility. So okay, now we've got an RM development over here. Our site, which could be CS if we would have rezoned it. So now we've got an RM to a CS. Uh, I looked at the church, which is a non-residential use. Um, so even with a, um, you know, not doing a alternate compliance, which is difficult or to quantify, well, how about we just look at the true uses uh, of the adjacent properties and, and then come up with a buffer that is, to me, more applicable than just because it happens and those two happen to fall under those zonings, pick that off the chart and say, you got to put in 242 shrubs. Um, so I guess that's where I'm at now of what, what is a reasonable amount. Um, I think after talking with Scott, they, they agreed, and Scott and, and Catherine of, hey, yeah, probably a type one buffer between the church property and the facility. Uh, they are requesting a type three then on the north and east. Uh, I would request a type two. Uh, the number of trees is the same, but the number of shrubs are, are reduced with a type two. Um, and so the, the tree requirement would still be there, and we've complied with the, the tree requirement. So I guess it's just a you know point of discussion. We do these development plans so everybody can have input and you can really look at it other than just saying, well, that's within the chart, so that's what you have to um, comply with. So I, I'd be happy to answer any other questions as far as you know what I gave to you. Um, so. And, and I'm glad to come back up and answer any other questions later. Thank you. And I'll let you know if we have any further questions. <clears throat> are there uh, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on this? I, uh, I'm sorry. It was, is Humane Society done with his presentation? Do you have any other further speakers? No. Okay. Then uh, I will open this up to public discussion. If there are members of the public here wishing to comment on this agenda item. Seeing none, we will bring it back up here to the commission for discussion and questions for applicants or staff. 
Commissioner Carpenter. I do have a question for the applicant. When you drew the design, <coughs> I'm sure you're fully aware of the plans for 19th Street, reworking the street in front mm -hmm. of it. Did you take that into account when you drew these designs, that that road potentially going to be widened slightly? I could be smart and say no, but yes, I did. And I even drew a profile. Um, and the city had a preliminary profile. Um, because right now, the entrance is kind of at the top of the hill. Uh, because of the, the design guidelines, there's probably going to be at least a couple feet taken off that hill. So I did an analysis and with the curve, with some even minimal um, removal of the, the grade at the top of the hill, I still had adequate sight distances from the two entrances. And that was more for your benefit, because you didn't have a plan that you were gonna lose crucial frontage. Yeah, and, and, and again, to, to kind of reiterate, um, We've gone back and forth of one entrance versus two. Uh, the second, you know, allows for animal control, deliveries, trash pickup. You know, uh, it's not that we just have that many people. It's just a matter of keeping those two separated. Uh, they have indicated that there'll be a turn lane on on Ninth Street when they do reconstruct it. So the second entrance or an entrance, you know, wasn't a. No, I, I don't say it wasn't one an issue, more but the, question about you know. In addition to whatever ends up as the buffer yards, there's still going to be a, a fence around the entire area? There will be. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Yes. You know, right now we propose to leave the chain link. Again, we're looking to, you know, around the perimeter. It may be shortened up at the fronts just because it kind of went right up to the property line that they would be pulled back because that's not up there. But there would still be then a, a shorter four-foot chain link fence for the dog park. Okay. Commissioner Sands. Just a point of clarification, there's a chain link fence around the dog park portion but not around the whole. No, it is around the entire site. It is existing now. There is a, a fence, and it was, yeah, there wasn't any interior fences. It's it's right on the property line. Okay. And I had a question for staff, if I could. This, this is going to sound stupid, but what is the code's definition of a shrub? I'm not off the top of my head, but I think it has to be two feet in height. It's required to have a two-gallon size. Okay. So, so really, we we think shrub like miniature tree, but a, but a decorative grass or something like that could suffice as a shrub. I don't know if the ornamental grass would suffice, but that could certainly be an alternative recommendation. Okay. I mean, we didn't really have any alternatives to look at as what would be proposed to be substituted for the shrub. Okay. So that could certainly be an option. And a decorative grass might be. Easier to maintain, require less watering, Potentially, less yes. maintenance. Mm -hmm. uh, Commissioner Sands, I could read you the short definition. A shrub is a deciduous broadleaf or evergreen plant similar, I'm sorry, smaller, I should probably enlarge this so I can see it, smaller than an ornamental tree and larger than ground cover consisting of multiple stems from the ground or small branches near the ground, which attains a height of 24 inches. Okay. Was that from the code? First time we've had that? this question in the history <laughs> of planning commission. Was that from the from the code or was that from That's from the code. Okay. <laughs> awesome. And Wikipedia. A height not to exceed twenty four inches or reaching a minimum height. Reaching a minimum of twenty four inches. Okay. Thank you. 
Hey, Commissioner, I might interject um, on this because there's, you know, been some testimony that we didn't hear in our analysis of it. From our perspective, the applicant isn't seeking alternative compliance. That's alternative compliance is usually when you take the value of the of the screening and then meet or exceed it by some other method with like a wall, a view obscuring wall or berm or something like that. Here they're really just asking for to waive the standard. Um, Dean's um, offered to meet a type two buffer yard around the north and east sides of it does meet the value if we consider it to be a commercial zone to a single family district. Um, so it's our code standards for screening increase between different incompatible districts, right? So industrial and single family should have a much more stringent screening requirement than commercial and residential. And then residential to residential, you know, still has a little bit, but, but barely any. So um, I would put forth that a type two buffer yard on the north and east sides and a type one on the west side as they're offering, um, I think should be considered as being an acceptable alternate compliance here to what the code is strictly requiring with the type three. It would reduce the shrubs by half. It takes it from 20 shrubs per 100 lineal feet to 10 shrubs per 100 lineal feet. Thank you. Can I ask another question? Commissioner uh, Scott, yes. to, just to follow up on that then. So we, we could make that as a as part of the motion without having to necessarily throw throughout the entire process and rezone them. Correct. Right. Okay. Correct. Thank you. Commissioner Willie. I have a question for the applicant. Um, on the north and east side of the new facility, uh, those are outdoor dog enclosures. Mm -hmm. um, and will those be have a 24-hour use, or is it no, a daytime no. only? Those will just be during the day. What they're, I, I, it's got a better name, but I call them the ones on the north side are kind of a meet and greet. If you want to look at a dog, you can take it out there, play with it, bring your other animal uh, out there. The ones on the east are more where the kennels are to take them out into the grass and let them do their business. Um, but those and again, always, always supervised. Yeah, always supervised and during hours. There's no kennel, no operations outside, outside of uh, normal business hours. Now, they could be outside at seven o'clock in the morning when somebody gets there to let the dogs out. But you know, they're, they maintain nine to six hours, so um, you know. There's not, hey, they're going to be out there at all hours of the night. Uh, again, other than letting dogs relieve themselves. So to, to help with that too, also the applicant on the north side where it's closest to the property is proposing more than just a chain link fence. There is a partially obscured sort of different type of fencing there just on the outside of those dog ports where it's closest to um, an, an adjacent property. So, okay. See. Thank, Thank you. you. <clears throat> I wonder, since we're on it, talking about plants, <laughs> so the shrubs are deciduous, so we're not talking about prairie plants, or, but or evergreen. Actually, a percentage of them have to be evergreen. They have to be evergreen. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm just thinking here that since we're in tall grass prairie area and we're talking about maintenance and we need a buffer, there's plenty of perennial native prairie plants that could go around this perimeter and off for this type of screening 
and I'm sure there are many members of the community who would volunteer to help get those in and help, as yeah. opposed to coming in and pruning shrubs. So I'm, I'm just wondering, is that something that the code even contemplates anymore or ever? Sure, it does. The, I think the issue is we haven't been presented with an alternative compliance design mm -hmm. that we can support. There, um, even tonight, I'm not sure that we'll get to a point where we're deciding tree species or plant species or, or methodology. I think what's before the Planning Commission is, are you willing to accept alternative compliance requests that has no shrubbery at all? Um, there are other methods. They could put up a view obscuring wall or fence and not have to do any shrubs. But that wasn't part of the request. They, their request is to leave chain link trees with no other other shrubs. And we think that there's a, a value to having that fill in between this use and the residential use adjacent. Um, and, and, and the reason I bring forth the type two buffer is because in our early discussions and trying to, to help the Humane Society through the process, we thought that the, that it, that the rezoning wasn't necessary, but certainly it could have affected the design standards as well. So we didn't necessarily want to add that layer of zoning to this project. So can we actually approve all parts of this and kind of leave that open-ended to the final approval <laughs> plan? I mean, I'm, you're asking us to do a final development plan today, but just how detailed does that mean we have to be tonight? Or do we still have that flexibility for an alter, alternate screening? This, this would be the last time you get to dis discern over it. It does go up to the city commission, the preliminary development plan, so they will also get to, to look at it. Um, so I guess what I'm hearing in part is them not asking for complete waiver of shrubbery, but to apply the type two buffer yard, which it does include a shrubbery component, that vertical component of it. I think in talking with Mr. Grobe earlier today, the, the discussion is that we would, we would then devise the final design for the city commission's review between your recommendation and, and that process. And then we would follow up with that with the ultimate approval of the final development plan, which has a little bit more processing through staff. And I would add, to be honest, I mean, we spoke that one of the, um, within the buffer yard codes, that uh, a berm in the height of three to six feet can, you can replace some shrubs that, um, you know, does the same effect. You know, you just have a mound, so it's something that can be mowed. Uh, there are some areas within those uh, buffer yards that we could do some berms. The area in the, uh, on the north, along the north perimeter, um, you know, because it's a drainage swale that basically taking water off the the uh, trailer park to the north, and it's kind of got to go both ways, so we can't can't put a berm back there. Um, so, but we would probably incorporate some berms, uh, and and while I had some shrubs in there, I've talked to several people, and you know, hey, what's if we do have to do more shrubs, you know, something a little more sustainable. Uh, again, the grasses. Now, I don't. We'd have to have that talk. I like grasses, but you know, the, the only thing is, somebody say, well, you can cut grasses back. Well, if you cut the grasses back to the ground, is, is it a um, is it a shrub, a shrub that yeah. you know sustains that two foot high? Then okay, and. Doesn't mean uh, you know you may have 
um, when I spoke with the landscape um, architect that hey if you if you got to do those you want to then kind of do a, a back front deal where you've got something that uh, has foliage this part of the year and then this one's green so you never lose that buffer because if you just kind of put them in a row at some point you're going to lose the effect of the the buffering do, uh, brought about by shrubs so um, the landscape plan with a type two the the quantities and the definitions of those if increased um, would would change from that list um, again i'm you can get in the box with the junipers. Uh, I'm partial to burning uh, uh, bush. You know, if there's some plants that it's tough to kill. I mean, if you give them any care, they'll survive. And so that's the main thing here. I would add, and, and I guess we never got corrected in this plan. Uh, I had showed 32 shrubs. What I had done is pull them out of the buffer to incorporate them here on the west side where there's kind of an outdoor um, break room slab where they can walk out of the break room and also put them over on up against here to screen those critical items where you know there would be some nuisance so in reading it I interpreted that all it said was the buffer yard had to be on your side I moved them in to where I thought they would be more effective, but um, to say I didn't provide any buffering or any shrubs on that side. Now I did not, again, because of the little bit of parking in the dog park. So <clears throat> I didn't, I just wanted to say that it wasn't that I completely didn't account for those in those areas. So mm -hmm. appreciate your consideration for those buffer yards. Commissioner Sands. I have another question, quick question. And just one for clarification, you said the fence is on the property line and it'll remain there. Okay. So my question to staff is, what is the true purpose of a buffer yard? So is I it looked, aesthetic? Yeah, I looked the definition up because uh, there was the argument that open space could potentially count as buffer yard, but in the code they're treated differently. So open space is open space and it can be used by the public or by the users of the development. A buffer yard is actually to provide additional screening for dust, noise, light. Um, it, is, it is actually the space and vertical elements. So it's the combination of the two. So it's more than just having green space or an open area. It's actually to provide a screening for multiple reasons. So then the, the purpose of a buffer yard is not primarily aesthetic? No. In this particular case, per the code, it's to buffer incompatible uses. Yes. Okay. Soften the, the use. That's how we employ it. I guess where I'm driving at with the question is, the residences to the north, they're still just going to have a fence. They're still just going to see a fence. They're not going to see any of the landscaping that we're talking about on the south side of the fence. It's a chain it's link. It's a chain link, it's, so they yeah, will they see will. it. I thought it was a modified chain link. Um, only the the outside edges of the kennels where the um, I see. The, okay. So there's two chain linking areas okay. going on the kennels and then the actual chain link fence on the property. Okay, I so, misunderstood. Yeah. And and we were providing that only with the the alternate compliance of that because it's not in the buffer yard either. But that you know if if not putting more shrubs back there than putting sure. that panel up. Um, so yes, and and again the the perimeter fence basically to keep dogs from getting out that way and others to get in and it's sure. it's there and like I'm sure they'd love to replace it and improve it but that's a pretty expensive item that will just you know, 
work right now. Further commissioner questions? Commissioner yeah. Culver. Mr. Grove, just to, to clarify, you you and the applicant would be all right with the type two buffer on the north and the east sides and a type one on the west? <laughs> We'd like the alternate compliance I requested, but understand that staff's point and you know trying to find a middle ground. I personally would like, you know, a type one. Um, you know, again with a type two to type three, the trees are the same. Um, you know, it's just the reduction in shrubs. So it's paramount that we at least get it down to a type two. Uh, I still contend that, you know, again, when you look at the facility and they've been there, what, 40? Yeah, 60 something years. Uh, no one's brought up that, hey, I'm tired of the dogs barking, you know, that type of nuisance. We did move it to the back, and the only reason was that was the only way we could keep the other facility open was to construct it back there and then leave it up for green space in the dog park. So, uh, you know, a little bit of the design was just the way it had to be to uh, not have to demobilize the facility off-site while the construction's going on. So. Love to have a type one. You know, we think there's a, there's a lot of trees and a lot of buffering in a type one. Um, you know, again, those are a lot of a lot of shrubs that are going to require a lot of maintenance. Um, would incorporate <coughs> just as many um, low maintenance, uh, low water use uh, plants. But it's still while those are being, you know. Uh, have been planted, they're going to have to be watered and cared for for quite a while before they take off. But um, again, I, I question, and like I say, with the alternate compliance, we've got a lot of open space uh, around those areas that with this really aren't taken accounted for. I mean, we've got a 150, the building's 150 feet from the east, uh, where a 20 foot setback is required, for 50 from the back, where 25 is required, and about um, 20, 50 from the west side. So, you know, we've got a lot of, we're not encroaching on that buffer yard with all these facilities, other than the, the greet and meet area in the back. Any further questions or discussion by commissioners? Commissioner Willie. I would just say that I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with this new idea that's emerged with the type two buffer yard on the north and east and the type one on the west. Um, if we go with any less than that for a requirement, I think we start encroaching on other um, situations of, of similar um, residential to commercial or residential to industrial uh, uses. So in order to be fair and apply as best we can across all situations, I, I don't think we should go less than that, but I, I'm very comfortable with that as, a, as an alternative, and it does save um, half the shrubs of what was originally proposed by staff. Commissioner Sands. I'd like to echo Commissioner Willie's uh, sentiment that we, you know, we, we've got to be careful about some of the things that we approve because an applicant for another project at a later date may use that uh, as justification for submitting something less than what the code calls for. Um, I'm I, I love Commissioner Carpenter's idea of using uh, native grass if it's acceptable to the staff and the and, and the code and uh, I also support this project if my wife found out that they did anything to stand in the way of the Lawrence made size she probably wouldn't let me in the house so is that a I'm conflict of interest <laughs> I don't think so <laughs> <laughs> might be <laughs> 
and I would entertain a motion. So uh, I'd like to propose a motion recommending approval of the preliminary development plan and final <coughs> development plan for the Lawrence Humane Society located at 1805 East 19th Street based upon the findings of fact and forwarded the City Commission for approval with the addendum of a zone 2 buffer yard and a final plan to be, com to be submitted to the City Commission for approval. Just to clarify, Type 1 on the west, Type 2 on the north and east. Thank you, yes. Type 1 on the west, Type 2 on the north and east. Thank you for that clarification. We have a motion for approval with conditions. We have a second. Commissioner Culver, thank you. Is there any further commission discussion? Then all in favor of the motion to approve, please raise your hand. Eight zero. The motion carries. Thank you. Okay. Commission will recess for seven minutes till seven forty-five. All right. Let us resume with item number three. 3A. 3A, a comprehensive plan amendment to Horizon 2020. Jeff? Meeting by Fisher. Jeff Griffith with the City County Planning Office. Me also Fisher. Screens real quick. Okay. <laughs> Technology bug didn't strike. I am before you this evening is a comprehensive plan amendment for map 3-2, which is the Lawrence Future Land Use Map. It's located in Chapter 3 of Horizon 2020. The site we're talking about this evening is at the southwest corner of Crestline and Clinton Parkway, as you can see outlined there. Holcomb Park is to the south. The University of Kansas is directly across the street to the north. Let me give you a little bit more context. You can see here, the site does have one keyed in parcel there, which is a daycare. So it kind of what looks like a C, for the lack of a better description there. Jeff, can you into the microphone a little bit? Yeah. Or maybe or raise the podium. Oh, technicals. Thanks. No problem. All right. <clears throat> So the application this evening is to amend map 3-2, future land use map, from the current office designation to a medium high density residential designation. It's important to note the difference between the maps designation and the designation inside of Horizon 2020. For the sake of the mapping purposes in 1998 when it was adopted, high and medium were mapped together. They didn't have the ability to separate those out. I'm not exactly sure why. So high and medium were lumped together. Very low and low density residential were lumped together. We're looking, when you go down through the planned elements, it differentiates between high-density residential policies and medium-density residential policies. So to keep in mind that the map will show a medium-high, but we're talking about medium and high as separate components throughout the plan. <coughs> So the proposed development is approximately 240,000 square feet, which would be upwards of 197 units and 522 beds. That was the item that was to be before you this evening. It's also important to note the difference in density discussions that occur between the land development code and the comprehensive plan. The development density for the comprehensive plan and the way that it interprets the site is 21.6 dwelling units per acre. Article 7 of the land development code allows for a net density calculation. When you apply the math to that, it comes out comes out to be about 15.8 dwelling units per acre. So this is the existing future land use map. Uh, and just to let you know that the map, the original map that you see in the plan 
the files that were made to generate that map are so old that we had to recreate most of the files to get it to be editable again. So we had a very helpful staff person, Joe Beeler, on our staff who actually took that map and made it come back to life. So I have to thank him for that one. But the, you see here the office designation as it exists currently and the recommendation, or excuse me, the application is for a medium density residential which would extend up to Clinton Parkway is going up the direction there. Now, to kind of go through the differences between what an office use would be necessarily versus what a medium density residential use would be. Office uses you tend to see in kind of comprehensive planning, which would be professional offices, dentists, doctors, banks, things of that nature, and those kind of land uses. And they do have corresponding zoning codes inside the land development code. Now, one key item in the way that those are handled is the placement of those uses are usually done in transitional natures as you move from commercial areas into neighborhood areas. So they're usually lumped in accordance and along with a medium density, excuse me, a multifamily development potential, which would tend to be your medium to high density residentials. It also encourages a very compatible design to the surroundings around the parcel. So it doesn't look at it just individually, it looks at the area around it to be compatible with it as a whole medium density residential kind of has some of those very similar transitional languages and uses in there. So it's seen as a transitional use again from the higher densities moving down, or excuse me, densities and intensities moving down into the neighborhood settings. It again encourages compatible design. Uh, it really looks at the adjacent land uses a little bit differently and that will kind of go into the details about how that's different from an office use versus a medium density. But also it talks about consistency with the transition policies as you move from the highers to the lowest side of the density scales. So we went out and kind of evaluated a little bit about the development intensity, not the specific zonings that are involved, but just the intensity of the developments going through there. So the number of dwelling units, the activity being used on the site, is it a high turnover commercial versus a restaurant commercial? And just map those down in the way that the plan talks about them. And you can see there on the right-hand side of the screen, kind of in the red color there, would be the high development intensities that you tend to see in Horizon 2020. And as you go towards the west, it kind of starts stepping down a little bit into the yellows, which is your medium intensities and into the green which goes towards your low intensities. Now the very, this is where we kind of have to start talking a little bit about the land development code. There is a differential in the way that you define the densities of dwelling units per acre and the way that the code handles it. And I think it's a very important distinction to make is that the high density under the comprehensive plan stops at 21 dwelling units per acre. So 16 to 21 goes into the high density category. Medium goes to 7 to 15. As many of you know, the land development code goes all the way up to 32 dwelling units per acre in the RM32 zoning district. When Horizon 2020 was adopted in 19, uh, 1992, adopted in 1998, there was another zoning code, the 1966 code that was in effect that allowed up to 54 dwelling units per acre in certain districts. So there's always been a disconnect between the amount of density listed in the comprehensive plan versus the reality that could occur inside the zoning and the land development codes. It's also very important to note here that when we start talking about the zoning that's currently in place there, the parcel's currently zoned RSO, which is consistent with a medium density development. RSO's cap is about 15 dwelling units per acre. I mean, actually, it is 15 dwelling units per acre. So it's consistent with the medium designation that you see in the plan today. <coughs> 
And we went ahead and evaluated the area around it, taking a look at the size of the lots versus the number of dwelling units that were listed with it based on some of the records that we have at the county's office and taking a look at there. Went ahead and um, colored in the subject parcel with the density <coughs> we mentioned earlier, the 21.6, so you can see what that would look like in the scale there. Medium density tends to be one of the, the levels of intensity you, see, you just don't see in this part of Lawrence. As you can see there, a lot of these are upwards of 22, 21. They're over the 21%, which are, excuse me, the 21 dwelling units per acre, which is the high side of this. So a lot of them exceed high already. You don't see a lot into that medium, which is, you can kind of see, is the 9.4 to the, to the south there. So that 7 to 15 band is a little out of kilter in that respect. Also, the high is a little out of kilter in that respect, too. You just tend to see more above 21 and not in that less than 21% range. So some of the key considerations that we talked about is really just the densities that you're talking about when you start seeing the map description. And I mentioned again, those are those are lumped together. When you start looking at it, there is a differential between a medium density development in the comprehensive plan, and there's a difference in the high development intensity kind of level, those 16 to 21 units. And again, we're, when we start talking about comprehensive plan, we're talking about locational criteria that come into effect with that one. Um, medium densities, locational criteria are extremely similar to that of the office criteria for being that intermediary between the high and the neighborhoods, kind of being that buffering <coughs> land use that you tend to see in that aspect. Uh, the transitional policies are very clear. It's a very graduated densities as it starts stepping down. The plan makes a very concerted effort of going from the commercial on the high, stepping down as you get towards the lowers and the neighborhoods before you start going out into the county. So both the residential and the office, excuse me, the medium density residential in the office have very similar treatments in the way that it goes about that. The other side of that is also how the site is programmed and laid out in respect. And so that's where kind of the design factors the comprehensive plan starts to look at kind of come in. Uh, just to kind of walk you through these very quickly here, the plan policies look at things such as the type, the density, the intensity of the use, the scale, the access, and its relationship to the neighborhoods and the screening and the open space that the site is available to it. So those are the design criteria the comprehensive plan recommends looking at as a policy. It also recommends that it be at the intersection of a major street and road, kind of in that capacities. It ranges in small clusters to kind of give that differential stepping down to the residential neighborhoods and scales. It does encourage a variety of housing types, so including townhomes, patios, zero lot line, cluster apartments, retirements, <laughs> just the, the long range of those lists there. So it's a differential in the, both the amount and necessarily sometimes the type of the housing that's provided. Uh, it also talks to maintaining and continuing the visual appearance of the street and the road. So as you're going down the road, maintaining that visual appearance as you're moving away from the lower intensity or into the high intensity or from the high going into the low. So maintenance of that visual appearance is, is key to the comprehensive plan. It also encourages new and existing medium and higher density developments that are compatible in size, design, orientation, intensity with the surrounding land use in the established area. So it's a key design policy. Staff's recommendation based on the criteria that's in the comprehensive plan and based on analysis of the area is to recommend approval applying a medium density residential policy to the site of no greater than 15 dwelling units per acre gross or calculated. So either calculated based on the comprehensive plans methodology or that in Article <coughs> 7 with the net calculation. So 15 dwelling units per acre cap. 
And just to kind of let you know the process here, the Planning Commission is the approving body for a comprehensive plan amendment. You must approve it for an advance to the City Commission, and it does require six affirmative votes from the body of ten. So there has to be six out of the commissioners to vote for the affirmative or to advance in that respect there. And of course, your action items here, uh, to adopt and authorize the Planning Commission resolution, which the number will be 691. You can also deny the amendment, and the amendment would stop at this process point of the step. Uh, you can also defer with specific direction to the applicant this evening. And with that, I'd be happy to stand for any questions you have. Thank you, Jeff. May I ask uh, quickly if you would go back three slides, uh, just to the last design. Um, <coughs> Okay, thank you. Is the applicant here? Or representative of the applicant to speak to this agenda item? Good evening, I'm Brad Finkeldye, um, attorney with Stevens and & Brand, and here helping the applicant, Gilbane Development Company, and Christian will do most of the talking here, but I just wanted to start out with a, a couple thoughts, and you know, I was on the, the Planning Commission for six years, and I've done a lot of um, land use work before that and after that, and one of the things I learned when I was on the Planning Commission is that it's easy and one of our goals and one of the planning goals and actually one of the city commission goals is infill development. Infill development is important. The other thing I learned while I was on the commission is infill development is very difficult. Very difficult. You guys know that who've been on the commission. When you decide to build a, a, a apartment complex at the edge of town with nobody around, no one shows up. But any time you try to do infill development, of course, they should. The neighbors are here. They're concerned. They live nearby. And they're here to express their opinions. And so infill development is something we want to do, something we want to encourage. We have a piece of property that's been at our busiest intersection and been vacant for 35 years. And it's something we want to try to develop. And I think that's good for the community. Question is, it's hard to do. People have concerns. And so uh, Gilpain started this um, project seven uh, months ago and have gone through several different iterations. And we were hoping at one point to be here tonight, actually we hope to go in December, and then we hope to be here tonight talking about all sorts of things. And you might have ended up talking about shrubberies and <laughs> plants and buffer yards, but we're, we're not there because of some things that happened about a week ago. And we had two choices, either just punt again and, and as we continue to work with staff to get a good project, or we could come here and get the input of, of the Planning Commission and of the community about whether or not we believe this is a place that apartments, that multifamily should be there at all. And anyway, um, we'll, um, Christian's going to talk a little bit about that, but I want to make one last point, which is the discussion tonight is about RM versus um, RSO, RM versus office. It's not about RM versus a vacant lot. It's not about an apartment building versus a vacant lot. It's about RM versus RSO. RM, which is 15 units per acre. RSO, which is 15 units per acre. RM, which generates traffic. 
RSO, which generates traffic. It's not about all in versus a vacant lot. Keep that in mind as you consider it. Thanks, Brent. Good evening. I'm really excited to be here. Um, I'm excited to talk to and hear from the neighbors again. We, you know, we've continually worked for the last seven months or so. Um, my name is Christian Syria, and I'm from Gilbane Development. Um, it's a 145-year-old company. Uh, we're family-owned and operated. Um, fourth physics generation. Um, this is just a brief uh, outline. I'm a development director. My boss has also <laughs> been in this process, was unable to make it tonight, Russell Broderick. He's the uh, vice president. And then Ed Edward uh, Broderick. Um, these are some of the local um, consultants that we've used, land plan engineering, who, who, who's here tonight as well, Stevens and Brand. Um, Generally speaking, the company was established, like I said, in uh, 1873. Uh, we have about 53 um, offices worldwide. Um, we've done about 7,427 units over the entire country. Um, we know how to develop. Um, and student housing has been an asset class that has um, increased in popularity over the years. Um, this is a, one project I pulled up that's in Providence, Rhode Island, where our headquarters are located, although we have offices around the nation. Um, and I, I brought it up specifically for the design aspects of how you can integrate infill into a community near a university. Um, if you notice on the right side, you see that it looks like townhouses, the roofing, and my background, if it's no secret, is architecture. So design and aesthetics are very important to me. Um, I know it isn't for the community, and that's why they're here. And we've had many discussions uh, to date. Um, this is just a timeline of everything that we've done to date. Um, starting back in June, uh, we have been tirelessly working to improve this plan, and we'll continue to do so. Um, we've met with every organization leader that we could possibly meet, aside from you, you, you find people tonight. Um, and uh, we've been doing that over the last seven months, and we'll continue to do that. We are eager to make something happen here. We think Lawrence needs more purpose-built student housing for undergraduates, graduates, and professionals close to campus, not out west. Um, so this, this just illustrates how exhaustive we have tried to make this process in terms of getting feedback. Um, the key stakeholders are all in this, this slide. Um, I won't name them all because there's a lot, and we've tried to talk to as many as possible. Um, some of the highlights here is lessons learned from previous developments in Lawrence, here Kansas. That's a new project. There's a lot of lessons there, and I won't bore you. I know you guys all know about those lessons. Um, and we've tried to take um, you know, a page out of what not to do. Um, transparency, trustworthiness, accessibility. I've given everybody in a 400 foot radius and anybody who has my card directly to contact me. I will be the point of contact. I'm the principal for the job and I'm accountable for this. I'm excited for this project and um, I'm open to always answer questions. Um, we're not re requesting public subsidy. Um, this is infill transit oriented plan development. We've talked with staff. We originally had RM24 PD. After discussions with staff and neighbors, we have adjusted to RM15 PD. I know we're not discussing that tonight, but it is important because we're not intending to go high density. We want a transitional medium density as it's currently zoned in the present with RSO, 15 units per acre. Um, we've hosted two neighborhood um, meetings to date. We've always maintained an increased buffer from the standard and protect sensitive lands from the very get-go, even when it got difficult with um, you know, neighbors' comments and staff's comments. Infrastructure improvements is paramount in this location, and we think that there are considerable um, topics that neighbors want addressed, and we're, we're hopeful that we can do that. Um, and we, we have addressed them through a city memo that we're trying to be as transparent as possible from the beginning. 
Um, so it's publicly submitted, part of the initial submittal, and we updated it per staff's request in the last time. Um, ultimately, the business proposition, provide high quality, reduced cost housing for undergraduates, graduates, and professionals. Um, just to give you a brief history, um, this site, 1985, the owner acquired this property. In 1982, this picture is from 1985. Springwood Heights, Hills West, Park 25, pedestrian, uh, Presbyterian Church were already built. The original land use designation for this property was multifamily. The owner rezoned the property from multi from multifamily to office in January 1984. Um, and the reason for that is because they thought that Walden Pond and Office Park uh, would be liked by the local community and by Kansas City. Um, that proved not to be true, and for the last 35 years, it's been vacant. Um, they've been paying property taxes, they've been maintaining the lawn and trees. Um, the daycare was offered um, a first right of refusal to, uh, as a courtesy, um, to, they opted to not uh, pursue that prior to us getting involved. Um, when housing, uh, in response to neighbors' comments during the first neighborhood meeting regarding overgrown dead trees, coyotes, snakes, and homeless people, um, the owner took a proactive measure and did a robust cleanup on the site trying to address these issues. Um, I want to go through some inaccuracies to date. Uh, we've been in constant communication with all stakeholders. Um, and so we've looked at various options. Obviously, the daycare is a primary function of the site. And we've worked with them, uh, and we'll continue to work with them. Um, we've offered $650,000 up front, which is 150% above what the property sold for two and a half years ago. Um, they initially requested $1.5 million, and then later increased it to $2.5 million. Uh, we've discussed um, also moving the daycare. However, that conflicts with Hills West community to the south. And also the same concerns, or some of the concerns of the daycare were still present. So that wasn't a, a valid alternative. We've also um, tried a charitable um, contribution in order to achieve their goals of upgrading their facility since there's a plethora of issues with that particular building and we were encouraged to try to help them. And some of them we are and we've consistently been, um, you know, maintained that we will do regardless of support um, for the project. And we've outlined that in the city memo, which I, I know you guys have, have a copy. Um, and getting to the comparison. so. I'm actually going to skip a slide. Um, so the existing zoning, I want to be clear here. This is not the first time this has occurred in Lawrence um, where there is RSO next to RS7, next to RM24, next to RM12. Um, what we're asking for is, and I'm going to know into the rezoning portion of it, but it's important, is a transitional zone, multifamily, with its original uh, zone for, and that is 15 units per acre. And then with a net density calculation, it comes to 15.8. So Park 25 is RM24, the Presbyterian Church is RM24, although, and, the, and in the uh, comprehensive um, plan amendment, it's zoned office, although it's RM24 zone, zoning designation. The point here is it's high density, medium density, immediately adjacent. The PUD is also 9.27 units, which is in the category of medium, not low density. The only low density is Springwood Heights, which is RS7, which is seven units per acre. Um, the, what we're 
the reason why we're asking for RM15 PD is um, when we first talked with staff, they recommended we do plan development because the transparency that it involves and an open space requirement given the site's sense of land. In order, so we proceeded that, that way. Um, and ultimately, the, the two main issues is a, a max occupancies. For student housing, it's important to, to offer a wide range of unit mixes. This site currently zoned as is, is max, max three <laughs> occupants per unit. We need a max of four for four bedroom units um, to offer that affordable option for students, graduates, and professionals. Um, Non-ground floor dwelling units is another requirement of RSO, um, which doesn't help anybody because there's no efficiency in that. That means you need to have office or retail on the first floor per this designation. Um, and then there's really no multifamily dwelling category that fits in RSO. They have live work and other duplexes um, and other other items, but no multi-dwelling. So that's why we're here for RM15 PD and to first change the zoning designation, um, the, the land use designation to multifamily, and then we will obviously come back at a later date to discuss the plan and the rezoning specifics. But I want to emphasize that we are not going for a higher density. We're going for a medium density, which is RM15 PD. Um, here's some precedent right next door. The site's on the upper left, RSO, RM12. If you look in blue and in black, you see RM32 right next to RM RS7, right next to RM24, right next to the commercial district. There's precedent for this all over the city. I've just outlined three. Um, the next one would be RS7 to RM15, immediately uh, to the south of this site off of West 33rd Street. The third one is RM32 to RS5, which means five units per acre, right next to 32 per acre, next to an elementary school. Difficult infill. There's an example of one that is extraordinarily um, higher density compared to what we're asking for, and there's a plethora of that throughout the city. Um, here, are some here are some sections that we did um, in order to help the neighbors see the topography. There's about a 25 foot grade change. Above and beyond, there's no requirement to do this, and we're happy to continue to do graphics because I believe visually that helps you know, solve a lot of problems. So here's some of the things just to give you a comparison. I know we're not going into plans. I wanted to show just as a reference, the design is still in flux, and we'll be, we're looking for comments tonight regarding that. Um, here is KU's master plan vision for the, for the entire campus. If you take a focus on the western side, which is Iowa Street Divide, Central, and West Campus, you see what, what the future plan is for 10 years in long term. And another thing that they're looking to do in the city is spend $1.5 million on a 19th Street tunnel that will connect West and Central, which I am certainly for. I've traveled it every time I've been here for the last seven months, and I think it would be a great project. Hopefully, some of our tax contributions will help fund that because I know there's a, a funding gap of uh, 300,000 from the city and for city's portions um, and this will help link West Campus to um, Central Campus and also is the impetus one of the impetus for us even looking in this area in addition we <coughs> the reason why Gilbane got into Lawrence Kansas is because of the proposal we submitted a bid for KU on campus the two housing projects that are currently being built we weren't selected unfortunately but we've always kept an eye on Lawrence and really like Lawrence in the community and want to uh, be a part of the, the, the neighborhood. Um, this is actually a close-up of the research partnership zone, which is West Campus. Some of these buildings are built, some of these aren't. Um, this is the overall plan. This is immediately adjacent to our site. Immediately adjacent to our site. Immediately adjacent to our site. I'm going to say that three times. The reason for it is because KU is the biggest employer here, and the reason why Lawrence is on the map and this property is immediately adjacent to it, and that's why 
we went after it because people want to live near where they work and where um, they go to school and near retail. That's where smart growth, and that says it in the Horizon 2020 plan, reducing urban sprawl and also infill <coughs> development. Um, this is a central district redevelopment. Core Downs Resident Hall is, those are replacing existing assets. You even see KU trying to build more student housing. They have a shortage. Off-campus student housing, purpose-built student housing, has become more popular in recent years um, given the asset class and REITs and other big investors coming into the market space. Um, that has been a question in the past. Why are we interested in Lawrence? Um, and this is a great university, and we want to be a part of great universities. Um, essentially, I just went over this with the um, purpose-built student housing because that was another question in previous meetings. I'm going to last point, infrastructure improvements. Um, we've spent an exhaustive amount of time trying to accommodate some of the issues that are um, plagued in this particular site with regards to the neighbor's comments. Uh, I'm going to name a few of them. Basically, retiming Clinton Crestline Drive, um, increasing the length of the right turn lane along Clinton Parkway, increasing the length on the left turn lane along Crestline Drive, constructing sidewalks to the east side of Crestline Drive along the way, 24th Terrace bus stop. Currently, that's not present, There's, and we're wanting to continue it all the way to the bus stop for safe passage for students, um, professionals. Add two speed bumps along Crestline Drive, given there's a daycare and there's children present. Constructing two new bus stop stations with bike parking to support the multi-module transportation, which has been part of the Horizon 2020 plan, and also the city of Lawrence and Douglas County. Um, support the bike study conducted in putting one of the first locations on the corner of Clinton Parkway and Crestline Drive. I am for that. That was a survey done recently. I think that makes sense. I'm, I graduated from University of Maryland. They just did bike sharing. That was one of the precedents. I think it's a great location. I hope this project can um, be the first one to adopt it. Um, supporting adding 10 on-street parallel parking spaces along Crestline Drive to restrict for daycare exclusive use 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. We understand that staff supposed to this particular item, although there is a need on this street, and there's the picture to prove it, cars park right in the street, essentially. So when you're driving, I'm in the car taking a picture, and I have to go around that. If there's another car on the left, you have to actually stop and let that car go by. So it's virtually a one-way street because of this. We're trying to make that issue correcting and helping traffic. It's not required. It's something that we ought to do and want to do and hope that we can do for the daycare who needs parking. Um, also, we work with city engineers. Another comment from Freedom Hill Court members was that there's drainage that's coming onto the property that obviously will get solved when we develop, but we talked with the civil engineer, the city engineer, and also put an easement onto our site and put an outlet, which they wanted to do anyway, and gave them access so that we agreed that it would be discharged onto our stormwater management system. So those are the things that we're trying to do that is a, is a net benefit to the surrounding neighbors. There's many more, but they're more plan related. I won't bore you with it. Most importantly is the 40 foot buffer. There's a 30 foot requirement. We're exceeding that um, by another 10 feet in one area and 15 in another area. And there's sensitive lands present, which is paramount in this, in this site, in this neighborhood. And is I know why neighbors um, want to have that buffer there. And we've continued to maintain that through our revisions and changes. Um, as I said, no public sus subsidy we're requesting. We, we're looking to provide high-quality housing, trans transit-oriented housing options for undergraduates, graduates, students, and professionals within walking distance to KU, along two bus routes, reducing the need for residents to use their cars. This is needed 
and is indicated in the recent Lawrence World article that basically says that the rental rates are two times uh, faster than the national average, which is crazy. Um, this aligns with all the Horizon 2020 goals and reducing urban sprawl and providing infill development. And we look for comments tonight. We are eager to make this project work and make it so that Lawrence can benefit, Douglas County can benefit, students can benefit, the neighbors eventually will realize that this will be a benefit to a 35-year vacant lot that, it, that could be paying so much more taxes and helping out the community and doing that bike initiative, doing that tunnel. Um, this is another image just showing north to south. And I'm happy for any questions and comments um, as long as people are asking them. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much. Is there anybody from the public? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Crickets. Tonight, um, I will just remind you that if you're speaking on behalf of a group, I'd like you to limit your comments to five minutes. If you're speaking for yourself, to three minutes. And I will remind you gently, of course, uh, about the approach of your time limit, given the amount of input we're expecting tonight. Um, I understand there is a neighborhood presentation. Uh, we will handle that en route, uh, similar to the, to the guidelines I just outlined. Um, and so with that, we will open it to public comment. Thank Hi. you, Mr. Chairman and Planning Commissioners. Let me get it started. Oh, we, uh, we have been practicing our neighborhood presentation, and it, it takes all kinds of expertise that are housed in a variety of us to do this. Jane, before we go, yeah. are you looking for five minutes and then subsequent folks, three minutes, what yeah. you're looking for? Yes. Okay, just so the chair knows. And if I can ask about the nature of your presentation, you're, you're having several people present on the same presentation? Yes. Okay. If, if, if that's permissible. That's permissible to me. Um, and um, how many people do you have participating in your presentation? Uh, Ten on the PowerPoint uh, presentation. Okay. And I think there are a number of other people here who want to speak but did not want to be part of the PowerPoint. Okay. Thank you. And I will do everything I can to stay within the five minutes. However, um, although I grew up in Rhode Island and knew the Gilbanes, I never learned to talk as fast as Christian did. Um, so I don't he did think a fine I can, job. can talk fast enough to do that. I think it's important as you uh, look at what, what you uh, are doing tonight to look at, first of all, the state statute that authorizes the Planning Commission to adopt a comprehensive plan, one that is based on a number of studies, which you, I know, are engaged in looking for amendments to the comp plan right now, and that have accompanied earlier amendments to our comprehensive plan. Those studies have usually been based around area plans, neighborhood plans, sector plans, um, and tonight you're being asked to make a comprehensive plan amendment not based on any new studies, but based on one applicant's desire to build an apartment building. I think there's a real issue as to whether that's even an appropriate request. But moving on from that, uh, looking at Horizon 2020 and the purpose of it, it is a foundation and framework for your development decisions. It's a policy guide. It provides for the vision of the community, not of an individual property owner. It also provides a physical plan 
that mapping generalized land uses. And that's exactly why you'll see on the comprehensive plan very low density and low density grouped in one area. That's a generalized land use. That's the kind of uses we want here. And you'll see medium and high density. Now, Mr. Crick has said, yeah, the applications for medium and high density, but the staff is relying on the medium obligations and the medium requirements. But there's nothing in the comprehensive plan as we know it today that isolates medium density. So if the request is granted, it will be granted in terms of medium and high density. And then maybe we'll have an asterisk, or as I prefer to call them, snowflakes, um, on the comprehensive plan saying, well, in this area, it's not really medium or high. I think that that is a substantial change, unprecedented, unnecessary, and unwarranted. The comprehensive plan also tells us about a neighborhood concept. And a neighborhood is something that is bounded by things like arterial streets and parks. We in our neighborhood have not only gotten to know each other a lot better, but each other. Um, in terms, but the characteristics of our neighborhood. The rest of the people will tell you about those specifically. But we have analyzed our situation looking at Clinton Parkway. Ah, excuse me. Um, Iowa, those are two arterials. And then we've used West 27th Street and Lawrence Avenue as the other boundaries. When you look at our neighborhood, you will see that it is, um, does contain a single family neighborhood, this open space with lots of environmentally sensitive land and that once had many mature trees in it. It includes this townhome area, which is known as Hills West, or you may know it as Candletree Condominiums. It includes a number, six apartment buildings in fact, all of which are zoned RM24, all of which are high density. And as you know, the comp plan says we shouldn't have all high density residential in one area. When you look at map 32, which is what you're being asked to change, we have office on the site in question. And this office includes the church, it includes the Child Development Center, which is zoned RM12. This uh, yellow is the Springwood Heights single family. This medium uh, high density are the townhomes and garden apartments of Candletree Condominium. <coughs> this medium and the high density is all high density, and then the commercial. So to argue that you need to increase the density from office to high or to medium or high residential on this site is kind of hard to believe, particularly since you've got office across from it, you've got single family next to it, and definitely a medium right next to it on the south. And when you look at the RSO zoning designation, it is to accommodate low and medium intensity offices, and it's compatible with low and medium density residential. That's what exists now. Christian told you that he was going to be looking for an RM designation. 
Our development code in section 20-201B tells us how we should look at the zoning uh, designations as they are applied in accordance with the comprehensive plan. The RSO designation is low or medium density. Is, is there something amiss? Oh, I will ask you to watch your time. Oh, thank you very much. I'm sorry. Okay. Thank you. I think it's really important to note that this RSO is lower medium density and the RM15 is medium, but the RM24 is high. And if they do an RM15 PD, as the staff has told you, the units will be 20 over 21 units per acre, 21.6 they will be asking for a high density use, not a medium. The other thing that's important about the uh, request they're making is that the now they are in a low and medium density category under the RSO and their height is limited to 35 feet. If they go to the RMPD, not only are they in a medium to high density, but their height goes up to 45 feet. This will allow upwards of a four-story apartment building. And I will ask you not to approve this amendment because it is inconsistent and incompatible. Infill development is tough, but it has to be consistent and compatible with the existing land uses that surround the infill, not a whole new one. Thank you, and I apologize for going over. Thank you. Good evening, Mr. Chairman and Commissioners. I remember well when I sat up in your chairs for a few years on the Traffic Safety Commission, so I'll keep my comments brief. My name is Travis Herod, and uh, I am a resident of the Springwood Heights neighborhood. I have lived in the neighborhood for nine years. I've also gotten a chance to get to know my extended neighborhood better through my involvement in uh, the Schwegler Elementary School Parents Teachers Association, and I'm in my second year as vice president of that. So I've had a chance to really get to know the surrounding neighborhood that we're talking about here. My neighbors have asked me to describe for you how we see our neighborhood and how this comprehensive plan amendment that's proposed uh, will disrupt the area around the proposed site on 2300 Crestline Drive. <laughs> My neighborhood, as we see it, is a quilt, and this quilt is made of many pieces stitched together over the preceding 40 years. We describe the neighborhood, as Jane did roughly, as being bordered by Clinton Parkway on the north, by 27th Street in the south, Iowa Street in the east, and Lawrence Avenue in the west. That's how we think of our neighborhood. And within this neighborhood live approximately north of somewhere, north of, is about 1,200 residents as we stand here right now. The residents in our neighborhood, we have a plethora. We have homeowners and we have renters living in the six large apartment complexes to the south of the site. We have traditional families and we also have single parents raising their kids and we have some of those families are raising, are taking care of themselves with state subsidies. We have young families and we have retirees within this area. 
We have professors and we have graduates just starting out. Some of these graduates have their families with, with them. And I'd also say that some of these folks in our area, many of these folks in our area are from abroad. They're from other countries and they add a great diversity of culture to our neighborhood. So the question is, how would this comprehensive plan amendment affect our neighborhood? Well, it would allow construction of high-density apartment buildings on a nine-acre site at 2300 Crestline Drive that would add almost 50% more people to our established neighborhood overnight. We currently, as I've said before, have six high-density apartment complexes in the area, all zoned RM24, in which more than 1,000 residents of the approximately 1,200 <coughs> residents living in this neighborhood where they live right now. So 1,000 out of the 1,200 living in apartment complexes. Those apartment complexes that you see up there are sitting on approximately 32 acres. So nearly 82% of the folks, the residents in my neighborhood, are currently living in RM24 apartment, high-density apartments. Mr. Herod, time, please. And if I could conclude, you may. I would simply say that, as I said before, Overnight, we have 500 students added to this existing neighborhood versus the 1,000 already living in apartments in the area. And so from where we sit, it's obvious that this comprehensive plan amendment, it does not preserve or build our neighborhood. It, in fact, is incredibly disruptive to our neighborhood. And for these reasons, I appreciate your attention to our concerns tonight, and I would stand for any questions if there's any. Thank you very much. Hello, my name is Paul Marecki. Um, I teach at the University of Kansas. Uh, I'm a homeowner and resident of um, Springwood Heights neighborhood. Douglas County, um, first I would like to comment on the historical significance of Joel Grover Stone Barn located in the Springwood Heights neighborhood. Douglas County was a branch on the western route of the abolitionist anti-slavery underground railroad during the crucial pre-Civil War period. The county boasts a number of underground railroad sites, but Joel Grover Stone Barn, built in 1858, is the best documented and has been preserved to the present day. The closely knit Springwood Heights neighborhood maintains a strong sense of a common local history related to the Stone Barn. We expect that the barn, located at a prominent and very public location in Lawrence will maintain its singular historic character and will not be overshadowed by a nearby large development project that we know can detract from the dignity of the rare historic site. Grover Stone Barn has many associations with outstanding people from the earliest days of Lawrence. These include public servants like Joel Grover, himself a county commissioner and state representative, and Reverend Richard Cordley of Plymouth Congregational Church, after whom Cordley Elementary School is named. The barn is listed with the Lawrence Register of Historic Places and is also significant for its historic association with the development of rural Douglas County into suburban Lawrence. It's difficult to document the activities of the Underground Railroad as the operation was carried out under conditions of utmost secrecy, but we know that former slave Samuel Harper stayed at the barn on his way to Canada. The photo shows him in later life with his wife Jane in their home in Ontario. 
The step-grandmother of famous author and former Lawrence resident Langston Hughes was a slave who stayed at the Stone Barn. Reverend Richard Cordley of Plymouth Congregational Church stated in 1859 that members of his congregation hid a young female slave named Lizzie until she was taken to freedom in Canada. Numerous eyewitness accounts of slaves taken to the barn for safekeeping are archived in the Watkins Museum collection, and I've looked at all those, um, those sources. In 1979, the barn was threatened by developers, uh, threatened by developers, so the museum director contacted then Mayor Clark asking the site be protected. The city commission soon recommended, quote, the great historical landmark be spared from development. In 1980, Lawrence acquired the barn, employing local architects to stabilize the structure and design an additional, uh, in addition, suitable for a fire station. In 1989, the station opened, serving as fire station number four. The barn is currently used for storage of emergency vehicles and equipment. Time, please. Springwood Heights neighborhood expects the stone barn, located in a prominent and very public location in Lawrence, will maintain its singular historic character and will not be overshadowed by a nearby large development project that we know can detract from the dignity of the rare historical site. Thank you. Thank you. My name is Dan Heptig. I'm a longtime resident of Springwood Heights. The first picture you have here are of two homes, uh, single-story homes, on the uh, far east end of Stone Barn Terrace. Their uh, backyards will uh, look out into the new apartment complex if it's approved. You have uh, the next two homes uh, before you are the two homes on the far east side of Springwood, I'm sorry, of uh, Freedom Hill Court where I live, and uh, they will also look out uh, to the apartment complex. There'll be eight sites on the far east boundary line of Springwood Heights <coughs> that would look out into the new apartment complex. Springwood Heights is a subdivision now of 56 homes. It was built out and finished mostly in the mid-80s. We have a wide variety of sizes, styles, and shapes, and floor plans, which greatly adds to the appeal of our area and its character. We, of course, as has been mentioned this evening, have a very desirable location within the city of Lawrence. It makes us a very desirable place to live. When homes go up for sale in our area, they usually sell easily within the 60-day time period. We've had three sales of that type this year, or last year in 2017. The two closest to me, four units to the uh, west of me and two units to the east, both expressed that they bought in this area specifically because of the desirable features of Springwood Heights and its neighborhoods. I uh, recently examined the, the records of the Douglas County Register of Deeds and found that we have 64% of our homeowners that have owned their homes for over 10 years in our subdivision. We have 41% of our homeowners that have owned their homes for over 20 years. We have 34% or over a third that have owned for 30 years, myself included in that group, and I'm also included in the group that have 14% of us being original homeowners and having bought them when they were brand new. What happens when people live in their subdivisions for 10, 20, 30 years? You invest in your property. We have new roofs, new siding, new driveways, new decks, fences, porches, new heating and cooling systems, new landscaping, new sprinkler systems. Our area is well maintained and maintains its curb appeal, as realtors would say. People also invest emotionally. You raise your kids there. 
You get to know your neighbors and you get to know your neighbors' kids as they raise their children. You go to birthday parties, <clears throat> graduations, Eagle Scout ceremonies, weddings, and sadly a few funerals. You go to block parties as well. Forgot to mention that one. You go on vacation, a quick word to any one of several neighbors, and your home is watched over. They'll water your flowers, they take care of your pets, you have little worries when you're gone. To me, this is a demonstration of people putting down their roots. And people put down their roots in locations that are desirable to them. And it benefits them, it benefits the people immediately around them, and it greatly benefits the entire city. I can say to you that to me, my home, Lot 14, Block 1, Springwood Heights, is the most precious spot on the face of the earth. And when I look at my neighbors and the other people in my subdivision, I think that's a widely shared view. Now all this, Time, please. if I might conclude, is the please. exact opposite of what's being proposed on the other side of a six foot fence where a developer is proposing to place a 500 student population, which compared to us, we would consider to be transient. They're likely gonna live in their apartments two to three years, maybe a little longer than that, and they aren't gonna care at all what goes on on the other side of the six foot fence where we are nor are they gonna care about any behavior that they exhibit that might have a negative ramification upon us. I believe that, there, that this project would damage the value of our subdivision and our homes. I believe it will damage the, the character, charm, and ambience of Springwood Heights, and I urge you with the greatest respect and serious muster that I have to please not approve this amendment to the comprehensive plan. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, perfect. Perfect. My name is Suzanne Mills. I'm a townhome owner and resident of Candle Tree Condominiums. I'm going to present a brief history and summary of our portion of the neighborhood Travis Herod previously described. In the late 1960s and early 70s, the area west of Iowa and 23rd was the outskirts of Lawrence. With Park 25 apartments, Candle Tree condominiums, and Holcomb Park in the process of development. Park 25 and Candle Tree were constructed by local developers, permanent residents of Lawrence. The dollars generated by these projects remained in Lawrence, financing future development and helping create the fabric of our neighborhoods and our community overall. Candle Tree is located on nine acres around the cul-de-sac west of the corner of 24th Terrace and Crestline Drive. It consists of about 145 residents in both townhomes and single-level units, totaling 72 homes. These are individually owned and occupied. They're divided among 18 buildings, each containing four separate units, which equates to eight homes per acre or two buildings per acre. And there's another, another view. You can see the uh, single level as well as the, uh, the townhome. Oh, 
this way? Yeah. Thank you. Um, anyway, compare this to the proposed project, which would put 522 transient students on a lot of similar size and roughly 15 apartments per acre. Candletree already provides the transition from high-density apartments on the east, single-family homes on the west, and a lot designated office single-family residential, as it's currently zoned on the north. The first homes at Candletree began selling in 1972, with development continuing into the mid-1980s. It's a stable, safe, affordable, diverse, hidden gem of a neighborhood representing a microcosm of the city of Lawrence. <coughs> Among those calling it home are some original owners and in some cases descendants thereof. We have artists, we have business owners, musicians, families, professionals, retirees, many of whom are planning to age in place. Ms. Mills, time please, if you can conclude. Oh. Yes. Thank you. Um, throughout the past 40 years, the residents of Candletree and Springwood Heights, as well as some of the permanent apartment dwellers, have become acquainted working together to create an excellent quality of life, as well as a strong sense of neighborhood and community. In closing, we ask the Commission to carefully consider how amending Horizon 2020 comprehensive plan for the de development in question would truly benefit in any positive manner, the ambiance, the character, cohesiveness of our neighborhood. Clearly, the property tax received by Lawrence and Douglas County will not offset the future <coughs> damage the project would do to the infrastructure and the community. The vast income generated will only benefit the out-of-state landowner and the out-of-state developer. Good evening. Thank you. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Tom Malanazzi. I'm a retired civil engineering professor at KU. I have reviewed the traffic impact study prepared by Land Plan Engineering on this development. It's really a pretty good report. It shows that the northbound intersection of Crestline at Clinton Parkway is operating at level service E. It shows that the eastbound approach on 25th Street at Iowa Street at Iowa is operating at level service E. That's with the existing land use that we have in the development. Thank you. Now the plan also shows that Clinton Parkway, intersection of Clinton Parkway and Crestline Drive is operating at level service B as the overall intersection because most of the traffic is on Clinton Parkway. But I'm looking at the approach from Crestline to Clinton Parkway. I do have two concerns. The report states there will be 157 trip ends, that's somebody going out, somebody coming in, in the AM peak period, 79 outbound or inbound and 78 outbound and 224 trip ends at the p.m. peak period 112 inbound 112 outbound my experience in land development 
It's never 50-50 inbound and outbound in the morning, and it's never 50-50 inbound and outbound at night. That's just common sense. If it doesn't have a 50-50 split, it's going to be more traffic either trying to get out Crest Line or out on 25th Street, because those are the only two ways you can get in and out of this development to an arterial. Or I guess they could cut through the Park 25 apartments, but we don't want them cutting through parking lots. Second point, the existing frontage road. The, in the report, it says, quote, this, this did not result because of the proposed development. I agree, but it's there. And that frontage road, which serves the, the church, but the church has another way of getting out. But the complex, the Clinton Place Apartments, that's the only way they can get in and out. They can't drive through the church parking lot legally. Okay. Um, <clears throat> in conclusion, I'm going to beat the three minutes. <laughs> from a traffic point of view, thank you. <laughs> changing the zoning from offices to medium, high density, multifamily dwelling uh, land use will result in even a more serious traffic problem. It's bad now. It's only going to get worse. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, good evening, my name is Alex Kate. Um, I live on Freedom Hill Court, and I also have concerns regarding uh, Dr. Melanazzi's report in regards to traffic. Um, just to point your attention again to the frontage road, because that's going to help me make my next point. Um, this photo was taken 4.30 yesterday afternoon on the frontage road looking west. Uh, it shows the complete inability <coughs> that the car in the foreground has to go anywhere other than straight north on Crestline or to turn east onto Clinton Parkway. Uh, it also shows that people who want to turn south off of Clinton Parkway have no access to this frontage road currently. Um, anytime more than three vehicles is at this intersection, this occurrence happens. Uh, Anyone needing to access it from Clinton Parkway must turn left across three lanes of northbound traffic, and this causes many drivers to stop on southbound Crestline, waiting for the northbound to clear. Uh, what normally happens is the drivers stop to wait to turn left, and others behind them will have to stop, which can back up traffic onto both directions of Clinton Parkway. This problem could only be exacerbated by an additional 500 cars using Crestline daily. This is not beneficial to public safety in my opinion, especially when approximately 80 cars a day also make this turn to go to the Presbyterian Church for preschool with children on board. Uh, in past discussions regarding this property, comments were made that assured that potential residents would either utilize city transportation or walk slash bike to their destinations. Um, I was look, able to locate the city bus schedule online, and it states that buses on the city routes run at every half hour in a counterclockwise pattern. Uh, one route runs this way, one runs this way. This means that 24th Terrace and Melrose, whenever buses stop here, essentially become a one-lane road. Um, the greater number of people getting on and off the buses would mean an increase in bus loading and unloading at these two stops. And this also would increase bus loading and unloading at the existing bus station here at the corner of Crestline and Clinton Parkway. Uh, I'd also like to address the walkability of this location because comments were made stating that this is within a leisurely walk 
to businesses and restaurants on the South Idaho Corridor. Uh, an increase of potentially hundreds of residents crossing at Crest Line and Clinton Parkway will undoubtedly slow traffic down, as cars and buses would have to wait on additional pedestrians to cross. And uh, as an engineer myself, I took it upon myself to perform a time study on three separate occasions, uh, walking to various businesses along Iowa, uh, including as far as Target and Walmart, uh, and even with my six foot six inch stride, uh, getting to most of those places took over half an hour. Uh, I did this in pleasant weather and not hot summer heat or even cold, frigid conditions. Um, I don't see how this is of any benefit, and I would urge you to carefully consider a vote of no for this comprehensive plan change. Thank you. Thank you. My name is Christine Kate, and I was born and raised in Lawrence. I live on Freedom Hill Court, and I'm a teacher at Schweigler Elementary School. I've lived my entire life within one square mile of this location, and I feel blessed to be able to continue doing so. The potential for this location becoming a high-density apartment development makes me most concerned about the number of additional people needing to get from place to place, whether by car, bus, bike, or walking. This map shows areas and towns where vehicle crashes most often occur. The intersection of Clinton Parkway and Crestline is already marked orange, and the intersection of 25th and Iowa is already marked red, which both indicate a great number of accidents already occur in this area. The thought of increasing the number of pedestrians <coughs> at either intersection makes me very nervous, considering all of the students, both at the elementary and college level, who walk or ride their bikes to and from school. It does not seem wise at this time, nor in thinking 10 plus years ahead, to increase the number of cars or pedestrians in this area originating from and returning to this location. This table from the Lawrence Transportation 2040 document shows that in the evening, 23rd in Iowa is already the busiest intersection in Lawrence, beating out the second busiest intersection by almost 1,500 vehicles per hour. In addition, the third busiest intersection at Castleton Clinton Parkway is not far west from the site. Most of the people at these intersections are impatient and ready to be home, which already makes collisions more likely. Adding more east-west traffic would only multiply an existing problem. Goal 4.2.2 in the Lawrence Transportation 2040 document states, study traffic impacts and develop traffic impact mitigation standards so that land use de decisions do not endanger the primary mobility function of arterial roadways. Changing Horizon 2020 in relation to this land will endanger the primary mobility function of arterial roadways. It's not just commuter traffic that would be affected, but emergency services would be impacted. There is already a great volume of emergency response in this area, and added traffic would not be beneficial to the responders needing to do their jobs, nor to those who need assistance. Just this morning, after 8 o'clock, I saw a ladder truck, an ambulance, and a police car respond to a conference in place apartments. Oops, I'm sorry. Pardon me. This information is from the Lawrence File and Med Medical Emergency Department. In the past 10 years, there have been 2,545 emergency calls, with 55% of those calls going to those two senior apartments at Clinton Place and Prairie Ridge. 
emergency vehicles are dependent on Crestline and other overloaded local streets. Showing all the ways in which the added traffic from any future high density development would negatively affect current residents helped me in voicing my strongest opposition to this proposed change in Horizon 2020. I thank the members of the Planning Commission for your time and ask you to oppose this change as well. Thank you. Thank you, Chairman and Commissioners. I'm John Broholm. I have lived on Stone Barn Terrace for 20 years. Our property backs up onto Clinton Parkway, less than a block from the proposed development. The nine-acre site appears as if it will be entirely covered by hard surfaces, buildings, and parking lots. That could change the drainage pattern significantly from what's now woods and grassland. All of the water from the site goes to the drainage ditch on the south side of Clinton Parkway, which already has maintenance problems. It would easily become overloaded. A culvert takes the ditch under Lawrence Avenue, which is what you see there, and there's already standing water there most of the time. It's a mosquito breeding area in certain times of the year. And there's often standing water, it's often standing water various places between Crestline and Lawrence <coughs> Avenue. Storms can put significant amounts of water into the ditch. And neighbors have told me that it was filled to its banks during the summer of 1993. Sorry. City maintenance of the ditch can lag behind the trash that collects and the weeds that grow. Uh, the area by Lawrence Avenue is, is typically overgrown. The developer's plan mentions a catch basin and detention vault underneath the parking surface. It's not at all clear that this would mitigate the sudden runoff that's sure to occur from such a large area of hard surfaces. This needs caution and careful study. The threat is real. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, hello, my name is John Shelton. Uh, my wife and I have lived in the Springwood Heights subdivision for the last 12 years. I'd like to take a few minutes to talk about the transitional nature of this piece of property and how it relates to the environment and the size and scope of the proposed development. <clears throat> the uh, slide you see now is a Google Earth view of the property during the summer. You can see there's a, quite a few mature trees, uh, especially on the west side of the property. These trees provide uh, protection from runoff and noise, but their biggest asset to the area is wildlife habitat. Um, we see numerous species of animals in this area, including fox, coyotes, squirrels, rabbits, raccoons, possums, hawks, owls, and numerous other birds. <coughs> For the past few years, a number of barred owls has mated and raised their young in the general area using these trees for habitat. In the early fall, the property owners decided to clear cut an approximately a 40-foot wide swath <coughs> north to south across the uh, across the property. You can see a picture of that clear cut, and this is what it currently looks like in the winter time. This narrow band of trees along the west side of the property results in the loss of this habitat, increases noise, and uh, creates potential runoff problems. Why does this matter? 
after all, it's the, their property and they can do with it what they want. Why does it matter to changing the comprehensive plan? It matters if you like wildlife like I do, but it matters even more because under the current designation, this is supposed to be a transitional zoning. The applicant would have you believe that what they want to build is tr transitional, but it is anything but. The plans have been submitted to show two buildings, two to four stories tall, <coughs> that overwhelm any existing buildings in the area, including the commercial buildings along Iowa Street. In addition, the parking required takes up almost all the remaining land, leaving virtually no open space. The applicant states they are leaving 20% of the trees as a buffer on the west side, but the next slide will show you that even with the current foliage, there will be a very limited buffer. This, in this slide, you see a view from the deck behind the house at 2300 Free State Lane. This is a picture of the actual existing trees layered over a picture of a four-story apartment building taken from an equal distance away. As the plans show, this property will be from the west side of building one. There is no pressing public need to change the comprehensive plan to accommodate this project at this site. The applicant can accomplish their goal of providing student housing at many other approved locations. The current landowner can develop the property under its current zoning and the city can, can support its citizens by sticking to the current designation of this property as truly transitional. Please vote no to this change. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, greetings, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Good evening. Planning Commission. My name is Mike Schertz, and I live at 2300 Free State Lane, which is one block away from the project, and uh, you're looking uh, out my deck. Also, I have a couple of bedrooms I might mention that look right at that uh, proposed building. I've lived in this neighborhood for over 35 years. I, in fact, bought the uh, property when it was being built, raised a family there, kids went to Schwegler School. We've coexisted wonderfully with the mix of a park, you know, churches, condominiums, townhomes, and so forth. When the, the neighborhood was first established, there were uh, these many years ago, uh, they put street, uh, rather than street lights, they put single pole lights in each of our yards, which uh, illuminated the homes and the driveways. This has created a peaceful atmosphere during the evening hours all of these years. The proposed Gilbane project would house some 500 plus students, 500 plus cars, increasing the light and noise levels in our area. We would certainly experience sky glow, light bouncing off the atmosphere, uh, which would illuminate the surrounding neighborhoods, greatly diminishing the darkness. Light trespass would be another problem affecting the surrounding homes. The bright lights coming from the complex, as well as cars coming and going through the lights, shining through uh, our bedroom windows, perhaps interrupting our sleep. Keeping in mind the fact that the project proposed in my home, there's within about a 40-foot uh, area of space, of which simply put, this is the, the buffer that you see here, and I guess the six-foot fence is maybe somewhere down there, I don't know. Uh, that's, that's what is called a buffer that separates the, the two as our neighborhood begins. Noise, of course, would also be a difficulty. The overall background noise increased by the traffic of the cars and so forth, up and down Clinton Parkway, Crest Line. 
into the proposed parking lot, which will be right across uh, from my property. That's, they'll be on that outer uh, bank. Uh, we'll hear car doors slamming, engines starting. This is going to be 24-7, of course. Uh, a college group of students coming and going. This one car door slam in the middle of the night can certainly interrupt sleep. There's going to be a basketball court. You're going to have the basketballs uh, bouncing, thudding, you, you know, the, the, the players yelling, shouting for good reasons. Doesn't belong here, I don't believe. Uh, also with possible outdoor parties, loud music. Uh, I went to KU. I'm a, I was a student. I, I know, and that's part of the deal. But certainly within 40 feet of our neighborhood that has been here for so many years. We've imagined that there would eventually welcome, we would welcome new construction on the east area where this would, was proposed, uh, where we would have transitional buildings, you know, uh, duplexes, office buildings, low-profile multifamily dwellings perhaps. But instead, a four-story student apartment complex with over 500 beds, merely a stone throws away from our neighborhood is being proposed. Time, sir, uh, members of the Planning Commission, you know, I, I, I implore you to deny this amendment. I thank you for your time and your consideration. Thank you. Uh, good evening. I'm William Pesek. I'm the president of Hills West Homes Association Cannell Tree Condominiums. Uh, our owners are deeply concerned with the proposed change to Horizon 2020 plan and the proposed Gilbane project that is generating this request. The entire flavor of our neighborhood will be drastically affected by this change. As you have seen from earlier slides, our neighborhood is a mix of one and two story units surrounded by large open common grounds and many mature trees. Our residents are professionals, small families, and retired people. The appeal of our neighborhood is its quiet surroundings, friendly neighbors, desire to maintain properties, and a sense of community among the neighbors. The sense of community has contributed to the longevity of ownership and the reason people buy into the neighborhood. The change to Horizon 2020 will allow high-density development focused on a transient student population who have no investment in maintaining the properties. While all owners will be affected by this change, the five buildings that most closely face the south side of this property are very concerned about noise, light, coming and going at all hours, and the fact that a tall building will be overshadow, will overshadow and look down into their homes. The current Horizon 2020 plan fits in with the transition from Hills West property and would have would support a community more attuned to Hills West and Springwood Heights. I strongly uh, urge the commission to reject this request to the change to Horizon 2020. Thank you for your time and consideration. Thank you. Good evening. I'm Mike, I'm Mike Amicks, and I am the president of Springwood Heights Neighborhood Association. My wife Marilyn and I live at 2312 Free State Lane. I think I've lived at 2319 Free State Lane and 2332 Free State Lane, so you can kind of tell I kind of like the area. <coughs> Chairman Starkoff, members of the Planning Commission, I do want to thank you for giving our neighborhood the opportunity to be able to talk to you about the concerns that we have for the development of the property located at 23rd and Crestline. I gotta tell you one thing, I'm extremely proud of my neighborhood and, and our neighbors uh, in Hills West. 
and areas adjacent to our neighborhood. One of the things that I can say, I want you to meet my neighbors. It, we have come together in a way like nothing I've seen. There's probably nothing else that I can tell you this evening that they haven't already told you, and the homework that they have done has been impressive. They've gone out and, and they've, they've stood up for our neighborhood and our properties in the way that we believe. It, the way that we believe that is important on this area to be able to develop in the future and the support that we have for the RSO development and, and how we feel that it is a tr transitional zoning that is next to our neighborhood, it's compatible and it works. But I gotta tell you the reason that we're here tonight is I read from the, uh, a quote from the um, staff report. And the reason that we're here tonight is for the comprehensive plan amendment is to bring Horizon 2020 into alignment with the pros proposed residential development. <coughs> what? We have got to bring Horizon 2020 into alignment with the proposed residential development. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you, you are not obligated to amend the comprehensive plan. You are not obligated to do this. This is for a single development. As, as our attorney said earlier, Jane uh, Elder said earlier, this is one of the first times that I ever remember, and I've spent a few hours in the chairs that you sit in this evening, and I've spent time at the courthouse in a similar situation down there uh, as a commissioner there, as we, we considered all kinds of things. But this is the first time that I ever remember was considered a single application to change our compre comprehensive plan. I think that this is wrong business. I think it is absolutely wrong. And again, you are not obligated to do it. We look forward to the work that's been put into our comprehensive plan. I spent quite a few years here recently on trying to do an update of our comprehensive plan. One of the things that's hard, one of the reasons it's hard to uh, bring it to, uh, I guess, to a conclusion, is Horizon 2020 is a very good document. It provides, it provides so many things, but it, one of the things that it really does is it, it is a tool to help us evaluate, evaluate development proposals. And I think it's one that I know that you all take very serious. I know members of the city commission take very serious. I know members of the plan of the county commission take very serious. We look at so many things in this, uh, and, and again, I, I can't say enough about the work that has been done. Again, you know, the picture that you have before you, I live just south of uh, Mr. Shirk's house. Can you imagine looking out your back window and seeing this? I mean, every day from, from now on, that would be it. Can you imagine dropping a child off at the Child Development Center and feel comfortable with an area covered by pavement, covered by 500 cars? I hope it's a safe situation. Ladies and gentlemen, please do not amend Horizon 2020 in, in this comp plan and MAP 3-2. Deny the amendment. And remember, you are not obligated to do this for a single purpose. Thank you all very much for your time. Look forward to hearing your discussion. Thank you. I'm uh, Kenneth Prost. I'm not only the director of the Lawrence Child Development Center, but I also own a property in Candletree. Everyone here is my neighbor in two fronts. Um, 
we're here today because we also seek for you to not amend this plan. Some of the things that I have found uh, are contradictory to Horizon 2020 are contradictory to the information that Gilbane proposed. Um, they did list that uh, the calculated net density was 15.8. However, in the glossary of Horizon 2020, net density is measured by excluding streets, easements, water, open space, etc. I brought with me a map. I don't know if I turn this on. That highlights all the open space uh, around the property. Now, compare that with the calculations that they made or submitted. We show that the property was not actually subtracted anything. So where we have 9.1 acres, 497, we have the 21.6 gross. We have 143.8 after the calculations from the, uh, from the code using their calculations. And we see once again, 9.1 acres. That comes up with the 15.8. Now, if we subtract all this land in yellow that is not used like it's supposed to be, we would see that we're way over the 15 for medium density. Um, so that's one thing that I wanted to bring to the attention is that we would be looking at high density. We would not be looking at medium density based on their calculations and based on the description of calculating net density for this area. The biggest thing that I'm concerned with is the safety of the children. Um, we're looking at tall buildings that are going to be overlooking my playground. I don't know what kind of requirements they're going to have for their tenants. Um, are they going to keep it a gun-free zone? Are they going to be able to maintain that? Are they going to be able to make sure that the windows aren't overlooking my property so I don't have predators looking at my children? What kind of safety measures are in place for my kids? So far there are none and I don't believe putting apartment complexes, regardless of who builds it, putting 500 people next to all the children is not a good idea. It's just, it's a big risk. Now offices and single family homes, when we're talking professionals that are going to do a job, not to mess around, not to do things that college students do, and we all know we did them when we were, when we were that age. Oh, if you could conclude. I mean, in, in closing, we just, we really ask that you, you reject this, leave it as it is, and uh, consider the future of the children. They are our future. And considering, considering tax revenue at the risk of the children is not working for a better future. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, my name is Shannon Nowry. I'm the executive director of the Lawrence Douglas County Housing Authority. Uh, we own Clinton Place, which is the apartment uh, complex that is on the frontage road that uh, is the only way in or out. 
There are 58 uh, in apartments. Uh, we have 58 seniors who live there. Um, I am speaking tonight in my official capacity. We are concerned about the traffic and just would like to bring the attention that uh, it is already difficult. I frequently visit Clinton Place and it is very difficult to get in and out. And so whatever is done, please consider the traffic issue that you're creating both, particularly for Clinton Place, because that is our only way in or out um, uh, on that frontage road. Thank you. <coughs> Good evening. Good evening. My name is Jim Rumsey. I'm an ordained member of the Board of Elders at First Presbyterian Church. Clearly the largest group affected by this, and I'd like to have five minutes. <coughs> Jeff Southard, another member of our Board of Elders, is here, and the Board of Elders is a governing body of the church. When our church had contact with Gilbane, they suggested that a minister at the First Presbyterian Church some number of years ago had written a letter agreeing with a change in zoning. That would be a serious violation of the governing rules of our church, which have been around for many hundreds of years. And so it started off with a credibility gap. You have a letter from our stated clerk of the session that indicates that we are opposed to it. You have my letter indicating my opposition. And what I want to point out is that both your commission and our church have a mission. Your mission is to improve the community. And in order to improve the community, you shouldn't allow a development that might harm the other members of that surrounding community. Our mission is a lot different because our mission is that we are supposed to do God's work. It isn't just a, to provide a place for everybody to worship, and I do mean everybody, but it's also the opportunity to provide places for charitable and civil organizations whose impact on our citizens makes it a better place to live in Lawrence. My letter outlines some of the organizations and things that we do as part of the mission. And quite frankly, this development and the additional traffic is, has a likelihood of harming. We have a larger preschool than the previous speaker. We have more parents, more teachers, we have more traffic. In addition to the preschool, we have Small World, which is a function for foreign students, spouses, and their kids, a similar kind of program, but separate from the preschool. We have a Boy Scout troop, a Cub Scout troop, and these people are not there at 8.30 in the morning, but they're there in the evening. And none of this has been taken into consideration. We're not opposed to development, but when you listen to the other preschool owners' information and start actually looking at the numbers, there's a credibility gap. I'm a lawyer. Credibility is one of the things that's probably most important in a trial. And I think that what you should think about is that there may be some credibility here and make sure that the planning staff has taken 
a look at everything that they need to. Because if they're not credible, then you may be voting and taking their word when they haven't really taken a look at it. I don't think anybody has been in our church to notice the amount of things that go on. Five days a week, it's from 8 a.m. till 8 p.m. On the weekends, it's at least four to six hours on Saturdays and Sundays, and sometimes more depending upon what happens with the church, weddings, memorial services, and things like that. This impact is going to have a big effect upon our ability to service the people. How many parents are going to want to have their kids go to Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts because of the traffic jam? And if those of you don't have kids that participate in that, that's going to be a big impact. How many parents are going to say, well, let's go to the Presbyterian preschool or the other preschool across the street because of the traffic? They're going to find someplace else. <laughs> Development needs to be tempered with common sense, and you should reject this request. Thank you. Good evening, folks. Uh, Good evening. Thanks for uh, taking time to listen to me. My name is Jim Weaver. <laughs> nice to be. <laughs> Didn't know I had a doppelganger up here, but uh, actually I did. I saw your name on the ballot. But uh, anyway, I've uh, lived at 2700 Stone Barn Terrace for 34 years, next door to Mike. Uh, bought the house brand new. And uh, I had concerns that uh, that vacant lot behind me would someday be developed. Some consolation was the fact that it was uh, zoned uh, residential office, and I wasn't in fear of having to face a monolithic structure, housing, uh, not multifamilies, but 500 plus bedrooms with transient students. And I think point has been made that uh, you know these are young people away from home for the first time don't always make the best judgments uh, you know and the fact that they've allowed for 540 some odd parking spots for their 522 uh, bedrooms uh, isn't going to account for boyfriends girlfriends or the weekend party and the overflow parking on the streets and in the neighborhoods or perhaps across the street in the soccer field parking lots so that we have uh, impaired young people staggering across four lanes of high-speed traffic. Uh, when I first moved into the neighborhood, <coughs> the city provided uh, bus service because uh, between 2700 Stone Barn and Schweigler was a little uh, barrier called Iowa Street and they no longer do that. Uh, so I see, uh, I pick my grandchildren up and a couple times a week and I see uh, fourth and fifth graders crossing Iowa Street and it's uh, a little traumatic uh, to say the least. And to put a second uh, interse major intersection at Crestline with the uh, the amount of traffic that it's going to receive at those times of day, I think, is just not a real good idea. I also have concerns with the development of that size. They talk about the drainage. Well, there's over 200,000 square feet of hard surface that's going to drain, and they've uh, proposed 
an underground containment facility, uh, which is basically a dry well. Uh, they have a propensity to fail. Uh, the other thing is, I'm, I'm not sure of the exact construction techniques, but the area where the dry well is going to be, is, as I perceived it, was under the parking lot. And that, that area is going to have to be able to maintain uh, truck traffic uh, for moving vans and such for people moving in, moving out. Uh, you know, I don't see a whole lot of positives. Uh, traffic on Iowa Street has been, uh, the noise has been dispersed by the uh, tree growth there. When they put up a uh, structure such as you see in that slide, uh, no, it's not up, but uh, you've got, you know, the drawings I saw from grade on the corner that backs up to my house, from grade, the top of the structure is 55 feet. And that's 55 time, feet of hard surface reflecting the sound off the parkway back into our neighborhood. I want to thank you folks for your consideration of my time and I would urge you to uh, not support the change to the Horizon 2020. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Teresa Prost. I own with my family the Lawrence Child Development Center. And I'm really glad to see that you are young people and probably you have children of your own and you probably know how hard it is to find quality, affordable daycares. Daycare. And that's what we do at the Lawrence Child Development Center. We have wonderful pro uh, programs for all the children in our community. We are here because we are protesting this project at the location. The landowners have all the right to build in their site, in their plot, but we are riding the core of that land. So you imagine now two buildings, four stories high, and then ask the daycare center down here with our children playing outside. That's not a good picture for anybody. So uh, the land, uh, the developers, the landowners, they don't live here. They don't reside in this state. They are from <coughs> other. They live in another places. They want to build here. I think they should respect our laws, the city, the city code, the Horizon 2020, and not make amendments to their likes and to their building. They want to stay here, follow the rules, live it like it is. It's our, if it's for single family, live it like it is. We all benefit. All, all of us are here just for that, to benefit our community. Now, the impact that this development will have on the community, on our neighbors, is going to be terrible, especially on the traffic, on the building, on the construction, on everything. We, I asked Gilbane if they could do the project on faces. First, build one, and then build the other one. So all that noise, all that construction, all of that will not be at the same time. But they told us no, because that's not cost efficient for them. So I have to ch I have to care for my children, for the children's the safety, their health. We have children with many conditions. We have children with asthma. We have children autistic. So we have to prevent all these things from hurting them more. So uh, one of the things that we worry apart 
of Gilbane building this is that they really don't care about the characters of the community. They forgot to write us to say that we were neighbors in that project. They didn't even mention us. And we are right there in the center. So um, I just want you all to think about the welfare of this community, of the children, and of the business. Because I run that business, and I need to, to keep going. That's my our business, I mean, our jobs. What Gilbane offered us, it was ridiculous, and I don't think I should be mentioned right here. And that's why we didn't take their offer. If they want to move us, we were ready to move all the way to the end of the lot. But they didn't want to do that because it wasn't cost effective for them. So the only thing that I'm going to say here is please look at the long-term consequences of this project and the impact to the community. And these students are going to come. They don't belong. They don't have the sense of belonging. But we all do. We love this city. We live here. We all are Lawrence. So please vote now for the children and all of us. Thank you. Oh. Good evening, commissioners. Thank you so much. Probably look like we're getting close to the end. We're all in it to win it. Um, I am Courtney. I am uh, the chair of the Lawrence Association of Neighborhoods. Uh, Lawrence Association of Neighborhoods does not support this text amendment. Uh, we believe that the current zoning and land use designation creates uh, an appropriate buffer consistent with healthy long-term planning. It also reflects the value Lawrence places on established neighborhoods. Um, land does not believe the criteria established to make a text amendment has been satisfied. Uh, in fact, this kind of inappropriate placement is exactly what Horizon 2020 and zoning are intended to prevent. Um, uh, I want to also harken back to hours ago when they were, yeah, um, the developer was speaking and, and their um, attorney, Mr. Mr. Fingledye, brought up a couple really good points. Uh, one, it's not RSO versus empty lot. They, developers are more than welcome to build according to existing land plan and zoning anytime. Um, and of course, infill development will seem difficult when developers suggest things that are inappropriate for the site. Um, and using buzzwords like infill development are not a blank check to damage stable neighborhoods. Um, and lastly, um, <clears throat> Staff lists, it's key point number six. Some other areas of town affected by this text amendment. And these neighborhoods also deserve to know the ramifications of a text amendment like this. And it's deeply concerning that you've been asked to consider this amendment without a study or change in policy and without notifying those affected neighborhoods. So uh, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Elizabeth Pesek. I am a longtime resident of Candle Tree Condominiums, 37 years, as well as a board member. I wanted to talk a little bit about both our neighborhood and Springwood Heights being very suburban in feel. Uh, in my neighborhood, there are 72 homes. Everyone has a deck or patio. There's a lot of outdoor living that goes on. We have two pools in our complex, lots of common ground. People are walking around. There is a common area garden that neighbors volunteer to, to help sustain, as well as plant in the pool area. We walk our dogs daily through this area. It's very peaceful and quiet. 
It's suburban. Putting in a 244,000 square foot, 522 bed structure is like a residence hall. Residence halls belong on campus. That's not a valid transition between eight people an acre, or even less in Springwood Heights, and our neighborhoods. I ask you to vote no on this planned amendment. Thank you. Thank you. My name is Erin Strobel. Um, my husband and I have lived in Hills West. I've been there almost seven years, and he's been there for almost four. Um, I originally came over, and sorry, all my notes are on my phone. Um, I originally came over when I went to KU on my first degree, and I'm about to finish up my second degree, and we're actually planning on purchasing the townhome we live in from my parents. And so we want to stay in the neighborhood um, because I love my neighbors, and through this I've gotten to know even more of them, but I can call them, I can text them, I can, it's something as simple as, oh, hey, you left your garage door open, do you want me to go close it for you, or hey, can you grab my mail, or, you know, talking about just like neighborhood meetings and stuff, you can, there are so many people there for you, um, and that's why we want to stay there, and we want to have a family and take our kids to one of the two wonderful preschools that are nearby, um, but, I, I was a student up until about four years ago, and I've been in these places. I know people that have lived in these types of places, and it's not always super pretty. Um, it, it looks good on paper, it looks good when you build it, but I've seen how people treat these places, and it's not great. One of my friends, um, he had multiple doors with someone got drunk and angry and punched through a door, but they didn't care because it's not their property. Like, they can do whatever they want. Cars were vandalized, cars were stolen, um, graffiti on stuff, people's apartments getting broken into, assaults, drunken parties and fights, and it's just, I. I know that's not every person that lives in these places, granted, but a lot of that is gonna spill over into the neighborhoods. And the complexes that I've seen the most <coughs> that are more on the edge of town are more secluded. They don't have families living next door. They don't have preschools next door. Then they have these big tall walls and gated driveways and stuff because they wanna keep the students separate from the outside world. And I feel like that's, we already have problems of people. I, I said one of the other meetings, um, she mentioned that they have alcohol bottles that get left right outside the preschool every day. That something like that's just gonna increase. And, and like I said, it's not every student, but it's enough to where I'm concerned because if we wanna grow a family here and this comes in, then we may not purchase that property. We may move elsewhere to a property that we may not like as much with neighbors that we don't know and we don't like because of this development. So just some more things to consider and I strongly urge you guys to say no to the amendment because I think this is, if they do develop it like more people have mentioned, single family homes, uh, more townhomes, something like that would be more appropriate to the neighborhood and I think would be more welcomed and I think we would be, we would be willing to make them neighbors but I don't think 500 something college students is gonna fit in with what we have. So thank you for your time. Thank you. Uh, good evening, Commissioners. Uh, my name is Alex Landazari. Um, I did previously send you an email, all of you, uh, my wife and I, voicing our opinions uh, against this project. 
couple of things I wanted to highlight after the, the presentations we've all seen today. The big one being the traffic. Um, the, the traffic study, like the engineer who, who spoke and said, this is just going to get worse. It's already bad. This development will not fit where they want to put it. If they want to put it somewhere else, say over Castle and Bob Billings in the field next north of the tower, that could sustain and deal and handle the influx of traffic they're going to get. <coughs> Another presenter brought up EMS. That is an area that I am very well qualified to speak on. I've been an EMT for 10 years, not in this city, um, in Bonner Springs. But the size of the ambulances get, are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. You add 500 cars into an area that can deal with maybe 50 or 60 cars, however many go through there that are already too much, you're going to delay the, EM, the emergency medical technicians, the paramedics, the firefighters getting to the apartments and dealing with the sick patients when in those emergency situations, minutes can equal a life, even seconds. Next, the things they want to do to try to slow down things, I'm sorry, those are a joke. Um, speed humps, they work for about six inches when you get to them. You get to them, you slow down, you get over it, you speed right back up. The minimal amount of widening they're going to do, that's not going to do anything except just make the lines longer and create more traffic for people like me who are trying to get to my daughter to pick her up at the end of the day or my wife who's taking her to the to the daycare at the at the beginning of the day. It's going to it's going to add time and danger in trying to get across lanes of traffic. Um, the next thing going for um, the the density of the development. They're asking for a medium density. When they show their data, they're asking for a high density. So they seem to be confused on what they're asking for. So either they don't know what they're asking for or they don't know their subject matter. Next, when they're they're trying to push out a daycare that services a large amount of people that may not be able to traditionally afford the daycare that they're getting. They work with the, the, or the state organizations that help families get daycare when they can't afford it. When that doesn't quite work, they work with those companies. Next, they said that, that the, the facilities for the daycare are inadequate for the students. Sorry, they're wrong. They've got enough staff. They've got the bathroom facilities for the, for the students. <coughs> they can maybe use a bathroom, an extra bathroom for the staff, but they make do. It's, it's not something that is detrimental to the care of the kids. Let's talk about the construction. Time, please. Okay. If you can conclude um, quickly. In conclusion, here's a picture of my daughter. <laughs> would, you, would you take the safety of her? I, I can't trust this company who sat up here and bribed you with $300,000 to complete a tunnel or who can't seem to get their numbers right and what they're going to need. How can I trust them to ha make sure they have the safety of my daughter when they can't figure their own, their own things out? Thank you. Thank you. For the public comment. Good evening. Good evening. I'm Cynthia Lartigue Eubanks. I reside at 2712 Freedom Hill Court. Yes, I'm a member of the neighborhood. And to the planning office staff and the commissioners, I thank you for allowing this forum tonight on a topic that's very important to many of us 
and also personally very important to me because I'm not only a resident of Springwood Heights, I was a planning commissioner sitting where you sat during the development of Horizon 2020. So I have a bit of a different slant on this tonight. Uh, first, though, I must commend my fellow neighbors for their dedication, a very impressive presentation, something that was informative, very enlightening for you, I'm sure. Uh, their commitment to connecting with all of us in the community to keep us abreast of what is going on and what is actually happening. And needless to say, I feel very fortunate to be able to be a part of this neighborhood um, because they're a very efficient, highly dedicated, devoted, and intelligent group of neighbors. But what about those citizens in our community who are not as fortunate? those citizens in our community who are not as aware of what is going on in their environs. The development changes, the amendments to Horizon 2020, the things that they don't understand. Not everyone is as fortunate as I to have the intelligent, dedicated community members in their neighborhood. Not everyone is as fortunate to have Jane Eldridge in their neighborhood. So I'm asking you tonight, what happens to those people? I can tell you what could happen to them. They could go unnoticed. Changes could happen basically within their own reach, but without their knowledge. Developments could move into uh, their neighborhoods with the approval maybe of the planning commission, staff, and the commissioners. Um, because maybe the development could bring more jobs and add to the tax base. It's some 20 years ago that when I was on the planning commission, the staff worked diligently with us to develop Horizon 2020 to protect our community and oftentimes to protect those who could not speak for themselves. We believe then, and I strongly believe today, that Lawrence is a community blessed with so many wonderful attributes. Horizon 2020 addressed not only our neighborhoods and our communities, but also the wonderful downtown, uh, anchored by a thriving university, strong family bases and strong neighborhood groups. And here's the big one single-family neighborhood communities that must always be protected. I'm asking that you not approve this amendment because as someone said on the board with me some 20 years ago, let's always remember one thing now that we've completed Horizon 2020. Let the plan lead the development. Do not let the developers tell us what our plan should be. And I'll say it three times because someone else here wanted to say something three times. Let the plan lead the development. It is in your hands. Please work on the plan before the development brings the request to you. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Shirley Behrend, and I'm a long-term resident of Candle Tree Condominiums. And I just wanted to say that from personal experience, you know, there's only one way out of the cul-de-sac, and that's east. And then we have two directions we can go. We can continue 
east on 24th Terrace and around Melrose Drive, or take Crestline. Both directions have subsidized senior citizen units in either direction, either Clinton Place or Prairie Ridge. And inevitably, when I drive out, well, the first thing I hit is a bus. <laughs> but the second thing I hit is an emergency vehicle of some kind attending to the senior citizens, um, ambulance, fire truck, and it's already a crowded, narrow way out, so the traffic is really difficult. Thank you for letting me be here tonight and speak. Thank you. Further public comment? <laughs> All right. Well, thank you everyone for being here tonight and for your comments and your input. I'd like to thank the developers and of course, staff did. Oh, did you want to say something? Yes. Okay, please, uh, welcome. My name is Diane Kay and I'm a parent. I have a daughter that goes to daycare and she was one of the first ones that um, began going there when it was first open. And um, she just developed a lot of um, friends there and um, just, in regards to the traffic that is through there, there's already a lot of traffic that goes through there, and um, it's just dangerous. And I also am a home health, I'm sorry, a home health aide. So I've been to um, Prairie Pl um, Parkway in Clinton Place, and that has a lot of traffic as well. So it's just, um, if you add all the other um, residents there, it'll make it more dangerous. Thank you. Okay. Any more public comment? All right. <coughs> then I would like to invite the applicant back up to respond to comments we've heard here tonight. <coughs> Hello again. Thank you, I appreciate it. Um, first of all, I'd like to thank everyone. Uh, truly, this has been beneficial. I mean, I know we had a number of encounters over the seven months, two neighborhood meetings, one-on-ones with each organization, um, First Presbyterian Church, um, Spring Heights, um, the daycare, Hills West. Um, really, honestly, there's a lot of good points there. The good thing is that we're working on all of that with staff, um, and we will continue to do so. I've taken note. I'm going to address some of the salient points that I think that are um, a bit mischaracterized, to say the least. Um, first of all, uh, students don't belong in community. Students don't belong in the community. If I'm correct, there's 25,000 plus students across the street from your neighborhood. They are part of the community. They are within 400 feet of the designated development code that was notified of this as well per the code. I also would like to say many of the things I've said and our, and our consultants are, we are professionals. We, I'm a tactician when it comes to the finite details. I do, I, if I make a mistake, I will own up to it. Many of the things that you're categorizing me personally as, uh, there's, there's no mistake, I can explain it further. And that's why I really wanted to move forward tonight. We've spent nearly hundreds of thousand dollars doing studies after studies. I understand the traffic concern. That's a, that's a number one concern in any 
development, and we understand that. We've updated the, the um, traffic study. It's in compliance with the traffic engineer, David Cronin. We've met with them. Um, most of these topics, again, are for the rezoning and planning, which you will have a say in moving forward. And we continue to look forward to work with everyone. Um, I'm not an enemy. <laughs> I, I, know I, I, I know it seems like developers, you know, given politics recently, I understand that developers get a bad rap. Gilbane is not a regular local developer that was that built some of the communities that you're referring to that have had issues over the years and continue to, many of which are adjacent and are near the community, but not in the proximity that you're referring to. There is no new community, which is the problem in Lawrence, other than here, Kansas, and we know the issues with here, Kansas. We are trying to correct that problem, and you're having a developer. Yes, we are from out of state, but we are nationwide. Our headquarters is out of state, but we work remotely. We're here all the time. I actually love Lawrence, seriously. I've eaten all your restaurants. I understand why you guys like this neighborhood, truly. I really, limestone, great pizza. Um, all the restaurants I've been to, the, you know, it, it's the brewery, the recent brewery that you guys opened up. I enjoy all of the benefits of Lawrence. Your downtown Main Street, there's not many areas in the country that have a Main Street like you guys do. And I'm, I'm being sincere when I say that. Um, what I have a problem also with is buzzwords. What we're talking about, I know some people are not as, first of all, this is a very affluent community. But the buzzwords I'm using are actually they mean stuff. You know, staff knows the planning commission. I try to explain it uh, as best as I can in city memos and our engineers and, and our and through our drawings, and we'll continue to do so. Um, we have some of the perspectives are mischaracterized. I know that's again going off of tonight's discussion. I just want to address it because kind of weaponizing the developer, the students, um, the daycare, and saying that you know pedophiles are, are going to be looking and peering at child. You know, there's many universities, there's many situations where apartments are next to daycare. Um, we understand the optics, and that's, if you don't want to talk about a buzzword, if you say children and then you say students, immediately those don't appear to go together. In fact, though, that's contrary. Harvard has done a study, happy to share it with, with staff and planning commissioners, um, that there is not an issue with that. KU has a daycare on campus, many universities do, in proximity to students. There's no likelihood that they're going to, you know, somehow, you know, have, a, I won't name which situation, but some of the ones that were named, that, that, that it's unlikely to occur. And obviously, we'll have on-site management, national chain, unlike the local developers that do not have that and do not spend money in their properties. That's why rents, they can charge whatever they want. It's a monopoly in this town. And we're trying to change that and help out the neighborhood. Talking about the greater neighborhood, this is the local neighborhood. We actually went and talked to the greater Lawrence neighborhood. 30 of the businesses on Iowa Street Associate, uh, on um, Iowa Street Retail Corridor, which is immediately adjacent to this, have signed a petition in which I will share with staff after this meeting. Um, some of the restaurants are local restaurants, the Italian restaurant, it's less than a quarter mile away, walking distance, um, which is in, by my strut. I'm six foot two, and I've walked in, I actually ate dinner there. Um, and it's great, and you can get there in 10 minutes if you're lazy. Um, Legacy Barbershop, another great barbershop. All the KU basketball players typically go there, and that's right near there. Um, there are plenty of restaurants that are in walking distance um, from this site, and they have all signed this, including, and I will name, Cordoba, Jimmy John's, Fast Signs, Popeyes, Chicken and Go, Cricket Wireless, Best Western, um, PetSmart, Yellow Sub, Ultimate Tan, uh, Dairy Queen, um, Dick's Sporting Goods, Pie Five, all these major chains, T-Mobile. Why? 
because they're also part of the community. They're near this, and this will also help them. They're, they're, they need a voice as well, just like the students. And we also spoke with students and have a petition that I will also send staff after this meeting um, from graduates and... Um, could I actually put this on to show this? Uh, I don't know how to work this. Just lay it on there. Oh, it's already there? Okay. So I'm not making this up. Um, I will send this to staff after the meeting. And there's 30 signatures. This is from all the businesses. And in addition, the um, graduate student one. I apologize. Um, oh, this one. These signatures as well. These are undergraduates, and these are graduates and professionals that, um, and again, I'll send this and circulate it after this, um, have all signed this petition. Be why? Because it does make sense. It's transitional. And, and another thing is the zoning. Uh, I know, again, we're not supposed to be. <laughs> we were looking forward to talking about all of these robust issues, and forgive me, I have about four pages of notes, and I really, I'm a solutions guy, and I, I, a lot of the things that were discussed here can be solvable. We're not, that's, that's what developers do, they try to solve problems, also try to make money and be a profit, and we're here tonight because we've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars doing studies. By the way, we've also done a noise study, a photometric study, at the request of the last neighborhood meeting, and I will also share that with staff. That's not required. Photometric study is required per the code at a later time when the final development plan is done. But we did it early. Why? Because there's concerns from neighbors. We wanted to prove, and the best way to do that is from a consultant who knows what they're talking about, which there's cutoff lenses for all the lights, which is by code. In addition, you would want that anyway, so no lights do go into neighbors. By the way, I'm a member of my HOA. I understand and, and, and appreciate how much you guys have worked on this. And you should also appreciate how much history that I know. I know that there was also some discussion of, you know, a half a mile out, there was a, a, a very good history lesson that I got. Um, trying to, the barn. That's a half mile away from the property. I mean, it's, it, I understand the character. I understand the passion. Please understand my passion to join your community and try to make the greater Lawrence, which you, I implore you to vote based on the greater the city of Lawrence, the, the benefit that this will incur, not just the local population. This is a case which is common across the nation that no one wants anything in their backyard. Um, and it's clear by the language that was said, we are trying to bridge that gap and that's what I'm here for and I will continue to try and mitigate these issues as they come up. Traffic seems to be the overwhelming. Good news is the traffic engineer from the elected officials and staff of Lawrence has approved it. And I, will, I have some solutions to the church um, issue with the right lane. I, I don't think that was great at the time when they did that. Um, and there's some solutions that we could talk through and, and mitigate those issues. It's not in stone. And that's why we have to come back to planning commission um, for rezoning and for the plan. Um, so there's plenty of opportunities to still discuss this. This is just simply getting back to the original zoning on the property, which was multifamily back in 1984 is when it was rezoned. 83 was when the owner acquired the property. All of the um, all Hills West, Springwood Heights, Presbyterian Church, they all were present when this all occurred, okay? And they all have associations at the time. So when you purchased it, you knew that this was gonna get developed. This is next to KU, the biggest employer in, in the city of Lawrence. I mean, how could you not think that at one day this would get developed? I know that everyone wants 
to have a vacant lot, and it's a false premise. 35 years, I understand. You know, if I owned the property personally at the time, I would have done something sooner with it. I think it's a great location. The Western expansion, I know, I know the neighbors have a personal connection. They tried to illustrate that. They did a very good job. Um, and I seriously understand the concerns, but we are not the enemy. We're trying to be a higher level developer. The Here Kansas parking issues, we mentioned that we don't have enough parking spaces. We have the exact amount of parking spaces for the visitors and for on the surface. We don't need to, we're not getting any subsidies like here Kansas um, got some subsidies. We're not requesting any of that. It's not contingent. We are surface parking this plus the visitors per the code. So I just want to be clear because I know parking is an issue and it's one to one and then there's visitor parking. So that's, should, it's off the table. We just solved it. So in my book, we're done with that. We've already addressed that. Traffic study. So I'm just trying to go line by line. I know there's a lot there and uh, I might be rambling, but I forgive me. I'm excited about this uh, this project and I also would like to continue working in Lawrence and the owner there is multiple owners one of which is a local resident as well and there are other ones that are out of state I don't see anything wrong with that I know people try to paint out of state you know helping and 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 putting money in this community I don't think that's something that we should shy away from um, from economic development outskirts housing Again, I, I know I didn't fully emphasize this point. Here, Kansas is the latest and greatest purpose-built student housing close to KU, which is not, I mean, it's new, which is great, but the standard that we're talking about is gonna be much better. It's not gonna be a behemoth of eight stories, okay? A lot of people are miscategorizing this project as a four-story. If we showed you the perspectives, it is two stories and transitions. There's topography, they're called basements, and it's three stories at maximum on most of them. And as we approach the community, it's two stories. We showed perspectives. We've shown the uh, elevations and how that is. And the Hills West community also has two stories. So we're appropriately looking at that. We'll further discuss that, and we're still working on that with staff. And we will continue to work with neighbors. I just want to <coughs> emphasize that because you could paint a picture as if we're literally that perspective, which I don't know who did that, but that was great from, uh, from your guys' perspective. It's just not accurate. Yes, the buffer is 40 feet, but then there's another parking double double with the drive aisle and each parking space is about 20 feet plus a drive aisle is 22 plus another 20 feet plus some space plus then the building in some areas it's over 170 feet until you get to the building so um, and we went over that with the neighbors previously and it looks like we're gonna have to have many more neighborhood meetings and we're happy to do that tonight I implore you to vote for the amendment which just simply changes the horizon 2020 back to what it originally was which was multifamily I I'm sure that we're gonna have another robust conversation. I welcome it regarding the rezoning and also the plan, the specific plan. Tonight, we're just simply trying to go to multifamily, which is, I showed the precedence earlier, it, it makes sense, it is transitional, and I'm not trying to miscategorize anything with the units. It is, it's per the code. There's 21 plus units, I don't have it off the top of my head, it's 21.8, and it's 15.8 when you use the net density calculation, which is by the code. It is, needs to be granted by staff and also the planning commission. So you guys have, there's checks and balances. Um, but I just want to emphasize that because it's not like, I don't know my numbers. This is, uh, I'm the principal in charge of this project and I really am excited about this project. And I think really I was hoping for, and I think some people are, excited to have a developer that comes in here that actually cares. I don't know any other developer locally or even nationally that would start off meeting with every neighbor and preemptively tell them that we're going to have multiple neighborhood meetings and try to address and sit down one-on-one -on -one and what what's the issue here, you know? And kind of be like a therapist in the neighborhood. Drainage, 
It's another thing that comes up all the time. This development will help the neighborhood because it is nine acres and right now it's just raw land. So when it gets developed, yes, there'll be parking. Yes, there's an open space requirement and we purposely did that as a strategy because staff had said, this is gonna be a difficult development and encouraged us to do a PD. We listened, we listened. We listen to everybody. It matters. We don't want to try to fit a square into a round hole. We want to try to integrate into communities. We've done it across the nation, done it in VCU in Richmond. We've done it on the East Coast, the West Coast. We're working at ASU. We know how to deal with the local um, neighbors. And we're trying to build a community, not a development, which I have sent in many letters with my signature and contact information to the neighbors. They are aware that people, per the code of, of you know, what is happening and we reached out even farther in the network outside the 400 feet to get their opinions and we'll continue to do so and happy to have focus groups and go through anything and everything we need to do in terms of analysis of this site drainage study has been completed and approved um, the traffic study happy to continue talking I understand the concerns we updated it per staff's request and added some other recommendations you guys don't want speed bumps that was a recommendation that I thought would be nice given the street. If you don't want that, it's actually not a requirement. We don't have to do that. That was something that we offered. And there's some mixed match with the neighbors. Obviously with a group this large, some people are gonna want some things, some people are gonna want other things. And that's kind of where we're at now is that you know we try to accommodate the initial neighbors that showed up at those meetings. Then there's additional neighbors and additional constituents as this has gained popularity um, in discussing. And so we're happy to uh, mediate any issues that have occurred you know with the property owner they thought they were being a good neighbor and trying to address the maintenance on the property I will mention there is a 40 foot uh, it's actually 70 foot is still remained on the left side uh, currently and those the, the, the trees and trimming that they did occur was per what the neighbors wanted at the, at the meeting they, they said that just like they mentioned there are ladies and gentlemen please okay <laughs> so I won't mention the specific neighbor or neighbors that said this, but they, the, the owner was present at that meeting um, and took notice of that and took it upon themselves to proactively, he's been part of the neighbors and has interfaced with many of these neighbors before and privately um, talk about this. So in any case, it makes my job harder. I didn't encourage this or know about it. So now I'm in a position where we're not the owner of this property and the owner is an elderly gentleman, one of the owners is, and is also passionate um, about Lawrence. So my point is we are willing to work through any issue that is thrown at us and we have thus far. I wish we could have worked through the latest issues um, and we will moving forward and have some plans and I will share what I, I promised I'd share tonight. Photometric study, the noise analysis, the um, I will send these two uh, petitions which are 30 and 20 signatures from <coughs> students, graduates and professionals. Um, can I get like two more minutes to just, there's a lot of stuff there. I appreciate it. I will grant you the two minutes. Thank you. Um, <laughs> property values. I know that, um, you know, we don't have any specific data. I actually tried to get a consultant to look into this. I understand with property values, we have nothing to show that they degrade. In fact, that we hope they increase. And we there's papers that show that. I'm not gonna say if they will or won't. I'm gonna say is that we will look into it. I have no, I'm not a consultant that can testify that. I can just tell you our experience over in the nation, which we've told many, um, many of you in the neighborhood meetings previously. I also want, somebody uh, personally said my character and, and said I lied. I talked with the pastor of the uh, First Presbyterian Church about um, 
the letter. And I actually have a copy of that letter right here. And this is dated 1984. And I will send it. I will send this out with the permission of the owner. Um, this is the letter from First Presbyterian Church. This is it's not controversy. All the neighborhood. What, what I'm trying to point out here is that all the neighborhoods were in support at the time for the rezoning. There's, you know, I, I know that there's a different administration. We've contacted the pastor. The pa pastor had said at the time when I met with them three or four times that this they, they would be neutral on this, um, which was their stance. Somehow that changed over time as it's got popularity, prominent figures in the neighborhood, various other things have got affected into this. So my point is that I did not lie. There is a letter existing, and um, I just gave you evidence, and I will further share that, that there was support from Hills West, First Presbyterian Church, Springwood Heights as well. Um, there was also support at that time, and part of the last thing I will say, because I, I know that we're here late, um, and I'd also like to get dinner at some point, would be that they made a commitment, the previous owners, and uh, truly, that was the first thing and the only reason, really, why, besides our quality uh, in construction and um, that, that they even considered our offer, um, they've had many offers, the owners, over the years, but there was a commitment to the neighbors that they personally made. And, you know, I know I'm a younger generation. This gentleman and the owners are an older generation. I can appreciate it. That's past the two minutes. Oh, understand. Thank you. Last thing. I implore you to vote on specifically what we're talking about tonight, which is the MAP amendment for the original designations known as multifamily. And again, I sincerely appreciate everyone's uh, turnout tonight. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. One last thing. All right. Thank you, everyone. And um, let me pick up where I left off, thanking all of your input, the applicant's input, and especially the staff who's prepared the our report for us tonight and done so much work with uh, both the applicant and the neighborhood to bring this proposal to us. Right now, uh, we will bring it back up to the commission for discussion and comments. Um, does anybody require a break at this point? Yes. Yes? All right. Then we will adjourn for eight minutes until 10.10. Or recess, anyway. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> All right. <coughs> We're back in business. We've brought this discussion back up to the commission for questions, comments. Commissioner Sands. I have a question for staff. I think it's for staff. Um, the applicant mentioned that the conditions were put in place that necessitated a punt for items 3B and 3C. I find it, it a little bit hard to make a decision on a comprehensive plan amendment without having seen the other two items that are associated with it. So are we allowed to know what those conditions were that necessitated the punt? Yeah, the um, 
code issue that arose as we were finalizing our staff reports had to do with open space standards. Uh-huh. And the site plan, which is public knowledge, which is what's been being reviewed by the staff and the public, um, was designed under the premise that 20% of the open space had to be protected on the site. And the design included some of the sensitive land and then other non-sensitive lands. The code, in fact, requires that when there is sensitive lands that are at least 20% of the site area, then all of the sensitive land has to be protected. And that condition is was pretty significant to the design proposed. Okay. So can I ask another follow-up question? So um, we've, we've talked about this, the sensitive, or, or it, it's been in some of the correspondence that was with the packet. Um, the sensitive land, unless I'm missing, it's not exactly in the, uh, not in the item that's being considered here. How much of the site, but the decision that we make is kind of dependent on whether or not the use is appropriate, the use that we are not making a decision on tonight, whether or not the use is appropriate. How much of the site is the sensitive lands? It's over 20% of the site. Over 20, so, but 21, 27? Um, no. <laughs> While we look that number up, I guess I would try to advise the commission to that, that you have a comp plan amendment before right. you which has certain criteria that's dip to, to review and, and analyze by that's different than zoning or site right. planning and so um, they don't have to be married the different applications they are in this instance but you could have received just a comp plan amendment to determine if a project that fits under the comp plan policies could then be submitted and reviewed and processed. So in many ways tonight we've gotten off topic because right. we started talking about zoning and site plan issues. Right. Um, we encourage you to consider the existing designation, which is a viable designation of, the, of Horizon 2020. We often talk about with our planning commission about other development patterns that also could be viable under the comprehensive plan policies. Um, so our conclusion is that the existing designation is viable for the area and the proposed amendment is viable for the area. I think the challenge with all of us on this on this project is that we know what the site plan and development plan is, and what we haven't given you is an opinion of whether that development plan um, meets the comp plan policies that are being requested. And we, we, we didn't do that because we didn't post that staff report for you. Right. Um, what we tried to do tonight is is advise you, the applicant, and the public that there are comprehensive plan policies that if this designation is approved, that any future plan submitted or in process will need to meet. And so 
you know, I, I can share with you that the plan submitted isn't the plan that meets that those policies. So there would be significant revisions to the plan in process right now in order to meet the, pol the, the comp plan policies if you approve the comp plan amendment. Looks like there's about 34%, 35% of the area is sensitive lands. Our code says that when sensitive lands are, are present, the code requires, limits the preservation of those to 20% of the total land area. So in other words, the code wouldn't say you have to preserve all the sensitive lands, but when they're present, up to 20% of the has total to be, land has area. Has to be preserved. Yes. Okay. We just we have a definition of sensitive lands, so we're all on the same page here. Since we did shrubs earlier? Well, they, they include the wooded area, so they're categorized by different types of sensitive lands. And wooded areas where the tree, and there are definitions about what wooded area is, and they're, it's based on the tree size and, and, and a minimum 500 square feet, I think, present on the property, then you qualify as a sensitive land worth preserving. It's not always the case that trees qualify. Um, you'll re recall the Langston Heights subdivision where a lot of cedars were, were present um, didn't qualify as the qual high enough quality to be protected. So <clears throat> when in this case, I mean, I walked this property back in December and came across that clear-cut swath, how does that affect the total land area that's considered sensitive land since they just clear cut it. Yeah, so you know that that presents a challenge because um, it it still will be considered sensitive lands from our perspective. You know, we've talked with this commission about sensitive lands in the past and what happens when they're destroyed and should there be penalties for it and what happens if they're in the county and because there's not the same standard in the county as there is in the city and what happens when there's destruction of sensitive lands that the community has said we place a high value on these. Um, what the code says is that they need to be replaced one for one. Um, I'm not sure that's enough, frankly, to when somebody destroys sensitive lands. And, and let's be honest, this wasn't clearing underbrush of, of, the, of the canopy. This was clearing a corridor. It was clear-cut down reason. to the ground, every so, tree, every shrub. So we, we have been addressing that issue. But again, we're getting a little off topic because we're getting into the site plan issues. But uh, that does present a challenge in this case. <clears throat> It will be, we have mapped our sensitive lands, so we have the boundary of the can tree canopy on GIS, and we would uh, apply that, that map to the project. Okay. Can I go on to go ahead. the real crux to me here? <clears throat> all the sensitive lands, that all presupposes that we actually approve a code amendment. So to me, I think this is a really a narrow focused decision tonight. We've heard a lot about character of the neighborhood. We've heard name calling. We've heard NIMBY thrown out here and everything else. None of that really matters. Right now we're asked to do something that I think is, well, I think it's the first time 
a planning commission has been asked to do it is that's just as Mr. Amex pointed out to change the code to suit one rezoning request and that that statement in you know, that was the first one I marked going through the staff report. The reason for the comprehensive plan amendment is to bring Horizon 2020 into alignment with the proposed residential development. So I did something I hadn't done in a while, as I printed out and I've read most good parts of Horizon 2020 again. And when you look at Horizon 2020 in the introduction, under what is a comprehensive plan, the very first bullet point is, is a policy plan stating the community's desires for directing land use decisions through the identified goals and policies. Yes. Which yes. took what I was going to say, which was said apparently 30 years ago, that it is the community's desire with our plan that the community directs development and not the other way around. Yet what we have before us tonight is exactly the other way around. So what I need to hear from staff, from the applicant, is what justifies this? When I looked at Horizon 2020, there have been 52 amendments to Horizon 2020 since it started. And I, from what I can tell, not one of them has done what we're being asked to do tonight. Is there another example of where the plan has been amended specifically for one individual project that wasn't the result, such as farmland industries, which was a major policy change by the city? Is there one for just an individual plot of land that we've done in the past? Well, in fact, that's usually how they come about. Um, Menards was a comp plan amendment change. The pending K-10 crossing project is a, is a similar type item. There have been others to support the Mercado um, project at 6th and K-10. But within that context, what we talk a lot about is that um, they have to pass the muster of the other comprehensive plan policies. So we have to have a process flexible enough to take on other good development patterns that the development community can bring to the community and say, hey, we've got an idea. It doesn't match the comprehensive plan, but could it? within the context of other parcels or the comprehensive plan policies be appropriate and compatible. And so um, that's why we have a system for doing comprehensive plan amendments is to take on those ideas and work it through this process, analyze it per the criteria that the comprehensive plan says to analyze it, the questions in our staff report, and then based on those findings and analysis, decide and determine whether or not the, the plan itself should be changed to accommodate the development project. The Lowe's project, for example, Bower Farm was a comprehensive plan amendment. So they're usually the case that they're project specific. Sometimes they're policy specific, usually to accommodate some sort of future project or, or project in the loop. But, um, so we have to be flexible enough with that, but I think it should be viewed in the lens of it's the community's plan that ultimately has to direct the development. But what we're in right now in this process is a developer saying, hey, does this idea meet the community's values? Would it be compatible? And if it is, then we should amend the plan to accommodate it. If, it's, if the findings are that it's not, then we should stick with the plan we have. 
all of those that you just mentioned, those all were in a, a larger context of area plans, nodal plans. There were other plans that talked about what was going to happen in that area. They all were in reaction to policies of the city commission that we want to establish these types of corridors in these places. We haven't had that type of public input on this particular item, so I'm, I'm just, I'm still struggling with, I don't see how this is the same as K-10 or the 23rd Iowa, or 31st in Iowa, which was a major revamp of what was going to happen policy-wise in this city. We've well, had a lot of discussion. This has been, you know, this has been proposed, and there's really been, you know, one week for the community to digest and to process and respond to a proposed comprehensive plan amendment. So I see this as a little bit different from the others, and I'm just asking, you know, how 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 should we approach this here tonight? Well, I think in 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 the sense that it doesn't have a neighborhood plan or a sector plan associated with it, it does have a comprehensive <coughs> plan map that designates it for office. So, in the sense that it's a development-driven proposal, it's similar to those other projects. It's different in that it it probably you know when 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 Christian came to to the uh, city planning office. We looked at this uh, parcel and we sort of scratched our head and said, you know, to be honest, we don't know much about this area because we haven't had a development proposal here in any of our recent time with it. So um, usually we have a pretty good sense because we've done a sector plan and we've come out of a neighborhood plan, Inverness Park area plan or Oriad neighborhood plan. Um, we've, we've got a little bit more connection to what the neighborhood wants. We all went into this knowing that the neighborhood's voice will need to be, will need to present itself on this, on this item. So I think what, what I'm hearing you say, Commissioner Carpenter, is that we, ha we don't have that luxury like we do on these other items to know what the background is. Uh, we're learning it as we go. We don't have the sector plan process to fall back on. We don't have the neighborhood plan process to fall back on. So yes, in that way, it's, it's quite different. Gentlemen, if I may, I would entertain a motion to extend the meeting by one hour, starting at 1030. So moved. Thank you, Commissioner Stan. Sands, a second? Second. Thank you, Commissioner Caden. All second. in favor, please raise your hand. Thank you. Our meeting's extended. Let somebody else take a whack. I'll come back. All right. <laughs> Commissioner Willie. Um, I struggled with the same issues, um, and when I was reading through the packet, uh, I was really struck that we, are, we sometimes, as leaders, get to be visionary and, and craft kind of a larger picture for the community, and we often end up having to be reactionary where a project comes up and we respond to that. Um, I'm always happier we can, when we can be visionary leaders, but we're not always wrong to be reactionary. So the fact that we came and had this discussion doesn't bother me. Whether it rises to the level of something that uh, would require a change of our comprehensive plan, that's, that's what we're here to, to test. Um, 
I think that's a pretty high bar. We have a pretty high bar when we look at a rezoning, but this is you know, a higher standard than that. Uh, when I look at the comprehensive plan for this area, I, I don't see a flaw, certainly. Um, I think the way it stands uh, is, is very reasonable. So sometimes when we get something like this, by the time we look at it with that lens, we see that, that yes, maybe there's a problem, or yes, the neighborhood didn't grow around it the way we expected it to, and there's something that needs to be changed. This doesn't need to be changed. It's fine the way it is, and has a lot of neighborhood support for what it is. So again, that, that bar is yet another rung higher for me. Um, whether there is a way that medium high density could go in there and be appropriate, I think there are ways that it could. Um, I can't comment on all of the plans that we haven't seen, because everybody else here in the audience has actually seen plans that we have not yet. I think those are mostly going back to the drawing board because of this, though. So I don't want to comment on, on exactly what can or shouldn't go in there. Some things that are medium high density for sure would not fit the neighborhood character. Uh, it's possible that something could go there that would. Here's one point that I, I will get corrected on if I'm wrong. Uh, by staff, but at, at Horizon 2020 protects sensitive lands in residential zonings in this 20% rule, which they would now be re redesigning to fit around the uh, tree canopy that's mapped there. Um, in office district and commercial district, it, it does not. So the tree cover, the 20% cover, is not guaranteed for the buffer to the neighborhood that exists now if it remains as office um, or as RSO specifically, but we're not talking about rezoning. We're only talking about the comp plan amendment. Um, the, the new plan, the, the as of yet unnamed new comprehensive plan, uh, is, is one of the things it's looking to is to change that where sensitive lands could be honored in other kinds of developments, but we don't have that yet. So that's just something to keep in, in mind as we look at it, that it's that even for a neighborhood benefit, it's not necessarily a cut and dried issue. Thank you. Mr. Payton. Um, I guess also what's important is we're looking at this amendment in the perspective of whether it's in the spirit of Horizon 2020. And so Horizon 2020 was a, um, I mean, I'm kind of reiterating some things, but Horizon 2020 was a, a community-wide public involvement process, but one of the things that it sort of addresses is, is things we might be missing or things we want as a community, like uh, this kind of development that might be more walkable or bikeable. Um, and in locations that are easier to walk and bike, whether this one is the best example, I'm, I'm not sure, but if you think about people being able to, or having more people walk across Clinton Parkway, that's not an impedance to traffic. That is traffic. Pedestrians are traffic. They are not impeding traffic. And the more you can get people able and willing to walk from somewhere to their destination, the less auto-based traffic you're going to produce. Whether that does it to the extent that you would want it to um, is unclear. But. Thank you. Commissioner Colbert. Yeah. Um, 
as staff has helped us in preparing this staff report, um, you know, there are seven items there for a comp plan amendment review. So I, I really tried to focus in on those those criteria and walk through those. I know we heard a lot this evening um, about the specific site and the project, and I think that's really tough to separate the, all of them out, but tonight we're really looking at the comprehensive plan amendment. And, you know, a big one that sticks out to me out of those seven criteria is a consistent and compatible with the existing land use pattern. Now, to the north, we have the commercial on Iowa and some high density up there, or excuse me, to the east. And then coming west, you have the single family there on the west side of it. And although you look at some of the, the medium to high density designation, this feels and looks more high density and would not, I don't feel like there's a good transitional use going from east to west to, to transition from the, the higher density down to the lower density. And so that, that really is what I'm looking at. Would the RSO be a better transition amongst those different uses and have more of a continuum? To me, it would. Um, I think this would be adding more high density in an area where it doesn't belong. Um, and then you look at, have there been changed circumstances or unforeseen conditions? I don't think there have been any major changes there, unforeseen conditions to warrant a change in this. Um, has there been a clear change in public policy? No, um, not my opinion on that. Affect the adequacy and existing of of existing or planned facilities and services. The traffic part of that came up very often and that would create some additional concerns there that would affect the adequacy in, of existing uh, facilities and services in the area, if I'm reading that correctly. Um, and again, uh, result in reasonable, compatible land use relationships. I don't think this change would enhance that in any way. I believe we have the appropriate mapping designation on there with the existing RSO. So that's, that's kind of where I stand on this at this point. On the criteria we have in front of us. Thank you. Mr. Chairman, I would respectfully correct Commissioner Willie because I looked Thank up and, and made sure we were accurate with the Excellent. RS. So RSO is a RS district mm -hmm. and the sensitive land standards do apply to RS and RM districts. Mm -hmm. Okay. No. <clears throat> Commissioner Willie? Yeah. Uh, I was not actually. Oh, sorry. sorry. I thought you were. Yeah, Commissioner Carpenter. I have another another issue here that the request to change <clears throat> the comp plan. We only have really two categories in the comprehensive plan: one low density, and then the other, which is designated medium and high density. Mm -hmm. Now, for I know we've got like seven, eight, nine attorneys in the room here tonight. That and makes a big difference when you're when you're interpreting ordinances or statutes or directives that and means that even though we're being asked to limit it to one I'm not sh 
so sure how we actually limit it to one when that in itself is contrary to what the comprehensive plan specifies. One of my hopes is that our new plan that's been under consideration for two and a half years is going to divide us out into additional categories so we don't have this problem. But for here, we're actually being asked to, to change the plan again for you know, basically to change the zoning and no other real identifiable reason that's been identified in the staff report or in the testimony um, and open that possibility for even higher density than what we think might be in a proposed plan. So that is a major concern to me too on amending a plan when we don't really know what's coming next. And, you know, I, I'm not casting aspersions on anyone. I'm not saying this is a sneaky or underhanded. I'm just saying that's a fact that this commission has discussed before about unintended consequences and setting precedents. And I think this is a bad precedent to amend the plan for the purpose of allowing this particular rezoning when it seems as Commissioner Culver's pointed out, this doesn't really meet this, this criteria for amending the plan. Thank you. <coughs> Commissioner Sands. Oh. Oh. Go ahead. Well, I, see, I would say that maybe respectfully disagree with Commissioner Culver. I think it does provide, I, if you look at the, well, shoot, you're not, we're not supposed to look at the considered density. But you go from RM24 in one area, you're, in a, you're, in, you're near a major node and along an arterial. Those are supposed to be of a higher density than standard RS zoning. So, I don't know, I just, maybe I'm just saying that to hear myself think out loud a little bit. I don't always have that advantage up here where I do in my office I get to talk to myself I, I think maybe it I, I think a, a density of around 12 15 kind of would be appropriate for that area but I do agree that when you look at the criteria for changing the comprehensive plan this plan does not meet all those criteria what I'll say though is and and let not a planning commission meeting go by without me holding up my <laughs> laminated copy of the golden criteria. One of my questions to staff, and I'll get to it in a minute, nine criteria, not all have to be met. So I, because it doesn't seem that there's a similar applicable court case that governs the change <coughs> for a comprehensive plan, I kind of have to graft that criteria on a change in a comp plan. So seven criteria now, not all have to be met. Now, whereas the gold criteria say really helpful and useful things like length of time the subject property has remained vacant in zone cannot be considered here. Um, character use of the neighborhood. I mean that, that kind of applies. There's certain things in here that are that are, have far brighter lines than just a comp plan, than the seven criteria for the comp plan. So if I could finally get to my question. 
Um, are there and are there any court cases that set precedent for the criteria for a change in a comprehensive plan? Mr. Larkin? Do not apply to the comprehensive plan. There is no particular case law. We are pretty much whatever is in our plan governs what it is. So if you apply the standards, the facts are before us, and then you make your decision, yes, no. So well, there is no case helpful. law like there is in Colton. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Larkin. <coughs> Commissioner Willie. At this point, I am planning to vote in opposition of the comprehensive plan amendment change. Just thought I'd throw that out there and see if that gets the discussion rolling more. Thank you. Mr. Sinclair. I'll chime in. I, I would tend to agree with uh, Commissioner Sands that I think changing, or I think the, the what's being proposed to go there could work, but I'm hung up, um, as Commissioner Culver referenced, with the factors um, that are listed in the in Horizon 2020. I, I think, you know, 20 years ago, or yeah, 20 years ago, the community decided um, what their what the community's vision was, and specifically decided for this. And uh, as much as I have no reason to 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 think that Gilbane uh, has any uh, problems, from what I've seen, the developments are are appealing, um, and I also am sensitive to the fact that infill is uh, is something that we ought to be. Um, striving for, uh, but I, I think we're constrained by what the community decided 20 years ago and the factors that were set out, which are, I agree with Commissioner uh, Willie, a, a high bar, and I just don't see how um, how they've been met here. Uh, and so uh, along with Commissioner Willie, I'm, I'm leaning towards uh, voting in opposition, uh, though I don't necessarily have a big problem with this particular um, with what is being proposed to go in there. Thank you. Commissioner Payton. So when I read through this, I thought it would be easy to make a decision, and then I thought it would be hard to make a decision, and I think since I've sat here tonight, <coughs> I have changed my mind three times based on all these factors. So I tried writing a list of why I thought the amendment review would be useful, kind of trying to follow the com comprehensive plan amendment review, and why, or so why it would be compatible or why it would be incompatible. So just in an effort to think about it, I can write kind of my ideas of, um, and in my experience serving on commissions and, and stuff like that, how, how that's panned out for me. Whether it's a, a big enough deal, deal to make a, an amendment. Um, so the compatibilities I see are that it's denser uh, in, in a town that we've, we've needed to be able to walk more and bike more. It's adjacent to walking and transportation options, and it is directly across from the eventual Jayhawk Trail, just directly across the street, which is part of the master plan for the University of Kansas. 
Um, it's, in, it's within walking distance of lots of places. However, I would say it's not particularly walkable. Um, the, distance, the obvious uh, differentiation would be like the difference between downtown Lawrence and Iowa, which is, is a little harder to cross. Um, it's in an area that can possibly become more walkable, though. It is adjacent to the university, and it provides a service that seems to be somewhat lacking. Um, the incompatibilities I saw was a daycare surrounded by parking lots, single family with little buffer <laughs> scale, although that's, I think, something that I'm not real clear on because I don't really know what the uh, eventual um, development would be like. Um, parking expectations, like it's touted as being walkable, but um, there's nothing that's encouraging it to be more walkable, but I think that is more due to our policies, not to do, due to their design uh, uh, choices, but I don't know. Um, it requires an amendment, but uh, the last incompatibility is it requires an amendment to Horizon 2020, which is a city planning docu document with a public um, input process, but this supports both the development um, and, uh, I, I mean, it, it, it's because of that um, and in the spirit of Horizon 2020, uh, one could argue either way, but I think it's most important because since what is already there is compatible and the neighbors seem to like it, I think that speaks more to not um, recommending the uh, plan amendment. Thank you, Commissioner Payton. Where the Commissioner comment? Commissioner Weaver. I'm, I'm leaning to no as well. Um, I'm, I'm struggling with it myself because I see the comprehensive plan just by virtue of its nature is comprehensive. We should consider everything that we could think about in terms of growth for the community. I think that was done 20-some years ago. Some things have changed, but we've been given seven separate criteria to take a look at, and, and in my mind at least, to, to try and see if, if the majority of them either meet or do not meet this application for an amendment. In my mind, it does not. I think the transition is better with, with the existing zoning, with the existing uh, plan, the way it's read. Um, the next plan that comes out may very well say we're going to do an awful lot of infield development. It's going to cause an awful lot of these meetings out there. And I think people are going to be really concerned, and they need to be. You want to preserve your, your families and your neighborhoods and, and let that familiarity that we have. So I, I'm leaning no at this time. Thank you, Commissioner Weaver. Um, I um, look at this project as one that had a lot of merits. Um, the infill, um, the proximity to KU, to transportation, um, perhaps getting some more walkability, and uh, as Commissioner Payton said, we don't think of Iowa Street as a walkable community, but I walk down there. I've walked down there. People here have walked down there. There are services and goods. Um, But to me, the, the question of, of um, whether there have been changed circumstances um, and clear public purpose, um, 
change in, in city policy, um, and compatibility above all. Um, I thought were inappropriate for this uh, for this location. Um, I agree with Commissioner Culver. I think the existing designation is appropriate. Um, the existence of th there are several existing conditions right now in that area that have developed naturally, and um, over time, the development of single-family, low-density neighbors to the west, the daycare, the church, um, the structure of Crestline and the intersections in that area, um, that is the, geog the geometry, and, and, and uh, I understand that the uh, applicant will make some effort to address those, um, but that's 500 cars, it's 500 people. Um, could a lower number be compatible there? Would it be suitable? Would it be um, in the developer's interest? That's beside the point right now. Um, the, the, the site plan, the, the zoning, that's all beside the point. To me, um, in analyzing these, these uh, criteria, um, I don't think that there is a compelling reason that one that one and that this proposal does not clear the bar that um, that Commissioner Willie described earlier. Um, and I am I will vote to uh, deny this. So we'll be ready for a motion. Is there further discussion? <laughs> Uh, in a moment. Just in reference to the one question that I asked earlier. This no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Please. Thank you. Commissioner Sands. So, thank you, uh, Mr. Chairman. So, um, I want to thank everybody for coming out here today. Um, even when it's in mass and you're surrounded by your neighbor, neighbors, it's still a nerve-wracking experience. Uh, so, so thank you all for your input. And if if neighbors couldn't make it tonight and they emailed that input in, believe me, it it, it helps us in making a decision. Um, the Kate family, I think, made the best points, uh, or at least the ones that that I am thinking about the most uh, when it comes to the traffic concerns. Now, I will still say that I believe that an RM12 or an RM15 on this section of land does, does provide a transition. What I will say though is that the existing road structure doesn't support that. Um, I hope something happens in the future where we can maybe go at a lower density and infill that. But as it stands right now, there's no opportunity to widen that. There's, it's that road and the traffic that it will, any RM15 development will create uh, is gonna be problematic uh, along 23rd Street Clinton, and, and it is gonna compound the traffic issues that are already in that neighborhood. I, I had one question for staff. Is there any traffic light signal planned currently for 
Clinton and Crestline. Not, not that I'm aware of now. Okay. So. There is one there. There's one there. Is there one at Clinton? In Crestline? Yeah. Sounds like some people have gone through this. Oh, that's, yeah. There is one. Not gone yeah. through it. So there's not one planned. So technically. <laughs> <laughs> We've already got one. <laughs> and, and Commission, we didn't include the traffic study, which would have reflected the improvements to the turn lanes at that light, because again, that's a site plan issue. It would still require. I mean, the, the buildup of Crestline to the south of Clinton would still require a lot of build out to to make it worthwhile. Um, I'm sorry, Mr. Did Chairman. I'm, yeah. All right. Did you have something to say here? All right. Need a further commission discussion? Seeing none, I will entertain a motion. I'd like to make a motion to deny approval of the comprehensive plan amendment to Horizon 2020. As specified, you know, as described in the staff report, which I think stops it from even going to the city commission. So, that's my motion. It does. We have a motion to deny. For a second. <clears throat> Mr. Chair, could, could you speak up and explain yes, the I motion? Yes, It has been moved by Commissioner Carpenter and seconded by Commissioner Willie to deny. Comprehensive plan approval amendment. Approval of the comprehensive plan amendment to Horizon 2020. We have a motion and a second. Is there any further discussion? And all in favor of the motion to deny, please raise your hand. All those opposed? Yes. Thank you to the applicant and to the staff who prepared this report. Thank you for all coming out tonight. I hope that we can arrange something where Gilbane will come and, and build here in our city. We would like to have you. Thank you all. We still have how many items? No. It's already 11. Neither are we. We still have quite a bit more meeting. We have, we're still meeting. We're, we're still meeting. So we're still proceeding. Thank you. Let us move on to our next item. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Because we're still landfilling. Yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're only receiving. We're only receiving. Oh, right. There's no action. <laughs> <laughs> we're 
No, I don't think so. Hey, I think they're just waiting a few seconds to water down. We don't take a vote. Are we going to mute? Thank you. We said if we're going to have a mute, we don't take a vote. It's like the whole picture already. No matter what we decide. Anybody else donate any water? I have a picture right here. Where are the chambers? <laughs> One um, at the late hour. Due to the late hour, I let the subject expert go home. I see. So we commit that memo, that brief memo, to your reading. If you have questions, um, we can get Miss Miller back in front of you to, to answer them. Um, I think the crux of it was that the. The text amendment on landfills wouldn't um, wouldn't necessarily automatically eliminate any pre-existing lawful use. So, if you need more information on that, maybe we can talk about it at a mid-month or, or something in the future. Thank you. Your last item are the amendments to the bylaws, and um, usually we like to have all 10 commissioners present when we're doing bylaw amendments. So based on that and due to the, to the late hour, I, I might recommend that you defer that and we'll take our chance with next month getting a fuller commission, um, just because usually we like to get all the commissioners in when we're talking about the bylaws. There's no urgency to the matter. So if that pleases the commission, we would make that recommendation to you. And I think if we come back with eight next month, we probably will want to take some action. But that's usually where we stand on that. Mr. Chairman, I'd like to make a motion. Please do. To defer uh, miscellaneous item three, amendments to the bylaws. I'll second that. To a later date. raise your hand. Okay, I see. Uh, item two has disappeared from my list. Why two? Our appointment to uh, the oh, oh yes, How thank you. That oh, that's what was it disappeared from my yeah. Weird. <laughs> uh, we have we need to make an appointment to uh, the comp plan steering committee it's, from the planning commission. Yes, it doesn't come with any kind of staff member, so it's not the bookmarks, but it's on the agenda. Uh, okay. The. Steering committee by steering committee committee bylaws uh, require one county appointee and one county one city appointee from the planning commission. Patrick serves as our <laughs> city appointee, and Karen Willie has volunteered to be the county appointee. Um, I nominate her and accept other nominations. I'd second. I second. Nomination. Okay. Then all in favor of Commissioner Willie being on the planning uh, the uh, comp plan steering committee? Please raise your hand. Eight. Seven zero <laughs> with one abstention. Thank you. Thank you. Enjoy Thanks. your three meetings. <laughs> I joined at the right time. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Is it almost over? Okay, then I join. Anything else, Scott? No, sir. All right. Sure, we can't. We stretch this out. Mm -hmm. You did extend to. Oh, to announce. I just wanted go to midnight. I'm so yeah, thankful for the new iPads, uh, and I could read um, the notes through the whole meeting. It was wonderful. Yes. All right. I have a quick request. When a developer has a presentation, do they ever give it to staff ahead of time? No, that's not typically the practice. Can we make recommendations that 
if they're going to go through 27 slides <laughs> with print too small for even I to read, that they maybe give that to us in advance. I could not process <laughs> a thing that young man was saying. Yeah, we can, we can try to work on that. He was going super fast, and I could not read his slides. applicant time tonight too so but the reason you don't see staff's presentations we're usually working on it up to the mission <laughs> time maybe why we don't see a lot of applicant presentations either so. uh, I mean that might be a fair point but even if we just got it the afternoon before something yeah if it's going to be to that level of detail which we don't know obviously I so, got you so but they do it, but didn't help her didn't didn't help at all in the presentation we can seek that. We can work on that. Be helpful. Anything else? No? Then we're adjourned. Yeah. Wow. All right. 11 o'clock.